1: Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Win and Six podcast, official podcast behind the bookpass.com. I'm your host, Sites Editor in Chief Adam McGee. And joining me this week, it's just me and him again. As usual, normal service has been resumed, Mr. Jordan Tresky. Hello. There he is. He's The call and response is getting better. <laughs> We are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Everything has settled down for a few... I'm going to guess we're only a few days away from the next... books decision. I was going to use an adjective before that, and then I realized I could just call it a books decision and everyone would know exactly what I meant. Um, But free agency is likely... I'm going to guess it's going to give us some more surprises, some things we didn't necessarily think the books could or would do but such is life the draft is now four days gone we have well and truly digested the book's decisions decompressed and with that in mind i think that's the best place for us to start we had our special draft night podcast that a lot of you listen to thank you for that Have your feelings changed a few days later? What is now, with having sunk in, what the books have done, what is Jordan Tresky's opinion on Malcolm Brogdon and Tom Maker?
0: That's a great question. Uh, It's largely the same. Uh, I I think even just a kid and one of his actually – few funny remarks that he makes he actually said that nothing has changed from <laughs> uh the night before to today <laughs> or something something like that and it was I, it
1: was basically that exactly
0: yeah uh so yeah i am i guess i'm feeling like Jason kid that i nothing has really changed um i still think everything applies with what we said about the maker pick um you know, I still think it was a reach, but again, nothing is guaranteed uh, with, say, if they move down, are, are, is he still going to be available? Obviously, we know the Nets were interested. There was reports of that being the case. That's why they wanted to move up to 20. Uh, another <laughs> thwart of the Nets from the Bucks' perspective, I guess. But uh, I think, yeah, I just think things stay the same. Largely stay the same with the maker pick. You you like what you've heard from him so far, but the true test is what he will be as a player. You can say all the right things, but if you don't back it up, that'll be, yeah, that'll be something else. But uh, I like the Brockton pick. I mean, at 36, great value guy. I think he's going to fit in very well. Um, He's obviously more of a, I wouldn't say defense first, but I think that's probably his best translatable skill, uh, entering the NBA. Um, He is a good shooter, but I think, I mean, we saw with Rashad Vaughn, maybe that's not the greatest example, but it's the one that comes to mind recently, that uh, he, you know, had his shooting troubles. So you never know how that will translate and how, you know, in a faster game with with going against athletes or you know guys more athletic and all that stuff, uh, we'll have to see how that goes. But I'm very much in the same that I'm happy with what they did. It's definitely a gamble with more with the maker pick, but they felt that was you know the right thing to do at that position. I can't disagree with that.
1: So, so you're putting yourself in exactly the same spot as you are on Thursday night. Yep. Wow. I I think I'm happier with it now. Um, By the time we recorded, I wasn't unhappy on Thursday, but there was obviously a shock factor that came into the whole way the night played out. So there was an adjustment period, but I'm... I don't know, I feel pretty comfortable with what they've done. I guess the, the biggest part of it is... It, I'm not sure it makes a difference if Maker is a bust anyway. One of, one of my least favorite things was seeing people sort of say that picking Maker at 10 sort of jeopardizes what they already have in place because that's just flat out wrong. It, maybe it will turn out they could have found a better role player and that would help them now. And there's big advantages to that. We've talked about that, particularly with the Cap Rising you really want to hit as close to a home run as you can with these picks. But no matter who they took, I don't think if they completely sort of flamed out and it was a bust, it doesn't it doesn't make any difference in the long run. This wasn't the books looking for a savior.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think, uh, yeah, I think, regardless say if, if it was a player that didn't have found makers you know the youtube sensation or this kind of that behind it if i don't think it will has that same effect or people could, you know uh i guess go or feel that way if it was anybody else but maker maybe if, say if they drafted a guy like the Baldwin or deontay davis maybe who was more raw but had... I mean, a, I think
1: Davis, Davis is a good one because Davis is super raw. We're mm. talking about him stretching the floor, but that was a real thing where he didn't do it in college. He said he wasn't allowed. His body had a long way to go, obviously not as much as, as Maker, but ultimately he didn't have the upside that Maker had. So I think Davis is the best one to compare that in. And I don't know. I just I don't see where... The negative side of it moves the needle that much either way. Of course, I mean, mm-hmm. Paul George was a 10th overall pick. Paul Pierce was a 10th overall pick. You could find those guys, but you, you can't bank on finding those guys. When we were looking at people like Baldwin and Poodle, it was more, well, they could be the fourth or fifth player in the starting lineup, best case scenario. So at the end of the day, if they're not, you just find someone else to be that. That's not necessarily as easy, but you've got to try. It's not the end of the world. Yanis Jabari, and Middleton are still there. Even guys like John Henson. Even guys, and yeah, I'm going to say it, like Michael Carter-Williams and Greg Monroe. I mean, they're still there. There's, there's players who are proven basketball players there. This isn't like the books were in the Sixers' shoes or the Lakers' shoes, and they went, you know what we need to do? We need to take Tom Maker so if it turns out everyone's gonna hail this as one of the best decisions out there because it was a reach and he could be a star and all of a sudden you could have four stars it was it was a surprise i think there were more obvious fits right now we've talked in the past on how definitely in particular me i lean towards fit and there isn't the most obvious one right now for him, but he could fit in longer term, maybe at centre, depending how his game develops, his body grows. We just have to see what way all of that pans out. But within that one, and Dan Larson wrote a great piece for us today on it, which is, it's, I suppose it's the right sort of perspective to take what it is, George's Papadjiannis went 13th. Yep. I mean, why? we can't be upset that they didn't take Deontay Davis when what, 20 other teams felt the need to pass over him afterwards? Yep. So that wasn't quite the, quite the loss maybe that we might like to make it out to be. In reality, if the books wanted to go and get him, they might have been able to explore moving up, but there was no real need, obviously, on their part to do that. They were happy. Maker was their guy. They got him. It could be a disaster. It could be an absolute Master masterstroke. We're just going to have to wait and see. Brogdon, I, I love the Brogdon pick on the night, and that one definitely hasn't changed at all. If anything, maybe I like it even more, having heard him speak. I don't think, even ha- having watched lots of footage on him, having read lots before the draft, I don't think I'd actually seen an interview with him. And that was definitely something that I guess added to the whole to his character, to what he's gonna bring. When I saw that press conference, and it, that was for both guys, but for t- particularly for Brogdon. it was sort of weird how mature he was. Let's move on to that and, part a slightly. Yeah. Go on.
0: And how weirdly similar his voice is to Rick Fox. I have to say, it, it sounds like Rick Fox.
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure on that one. We'll do a we'll do a voice test i couldn't pin yeah. down his voice i well the one thing i did feel and maybe it was just his demeanor i said this to ty at the time and funnily enough he came back to me then straight away saying this was his nickname in college but there's something really presidential <laughs> yeah seemingly brogdon's nickname with it from his teammates was president um because that's That's how he carried himself, but I I just thought there was something really presidential about the way he delivered everything. The way, like, the intonation in his voice, the way he emphasized things, reminded me of Obama.
0: That's very diplomatic.
1: Yeah, it was, it's just, it's so strange. I think we'll get on to um, discussing age in a moment. we, (laughs) We really, we might be on the wrong guy. There's a good chance Brogdon's like 48, judging by his, Astonishing <laughs> maturity,
0: my Fellow Mark.
1: I Mark. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> what were your impressions from the press conferences? So, whether it was Hammond or Kidd, their thoughts on it, to then what you heard from Brogdon and Maker. Is there anything that stood out to you, or what was your overall impression coming away from them?
0: Well, <clears throat> uh, I, I, this is. Not to steal my own point when I wrote uh, about it the other day, but I felt like when you watch them, you know, they're very different. How they came to the NBA was so vastly different. I mean, it's like polar ends of the spectrum. Um, Well, again, never mind. I was going to make a bad joke, but we will save that for later. Um, But how they talked about what they want to bring to a team like the Bucs or, you know, how they want to approach – or, you know, fit in with them, uh, I felt like it was they were saying the same thing. They were, you know, speaking the same, like, like message, uh, you know, just trying to work hard, let my play do the talking, you know, fitting in with all the young players that, you know, work hard. We've seen, you know, Jabari, Giannis, Chris Milton. Chris Milton today, actually, there was a great part of his uh, Basketball Without Borders, there was a great, I think it was, a, I believe it was an article, that he hell had some hand in writing just about, you know, working hard and then when you when you want to work harder or work harder and then work harder again or something like that. Something like that. Was, I messed up the message. But uh, I just felt like they were, you know, incredibly driven guys and we it seemed, to, you know, glom on about Maker just because he is so mysterious, but I felt like they're very relatable in that sense that these guys want to make an impact from day one, even though they're still rookies, and that's it's a very challenging thing to do.
1: And uh, I suppose it's, it's interesting because you said they come from such different backgrounds, and their journey has been so different. But what struck me was just how natural all of the media side of it was. Like that, It's one of the biggest moments of their lives, and generally for rookies, that's a really daunting thing. Like, this isn't, this isn't a knock against them, but I'm sure you remember, and a lot of you listening will remember, back to, say, Rashad Vaughn last year. And even still, I mean, if you put a microphone in Rashad Vaughn's face, anything can sort of happen. He's a little bit nervous, and he you have a feeling he could just sort of blurt something out at any moment. Both of these guys were the complete opposite of that. They were so sort of so at ease and polished that they were able to get the message they wanted to get across across. And in Maker's case in particular, that was really important because I think there was a need for him to sort of reassure everyone if he'd had this horribly bizarre press conference where he was up there sort of, I don't know, mumbling to himself or... You know what I mean? It wouldn't have done any favors for the whole. What have the books done taking, t- taking him a 10 overall? But the fact that he was able to go up there, speak like someone not setting up jokes here, but who's been a professional for a long time oh. and just say all the right things. And I don't know if you agree on this, but there's that's something that you get very tired of with. Not just basketball players, NBA players, but all athletes. You get these sort of canned answers where they're saying the right things. Mm-hmm. Neither of what those two guys were saying felt that way. They just happened to be saying the right things. Like Maker's whole... His whole... The, all the stuff about his work ethic. It wasn't just him giving out these empty words where he saw, but there was the story that seemed to go all around the internet of him doing like a second workout the day he came into Milwaukee. He had that there to back it up. And every sort of quote, uh, even um, I'm sure a lot of you have seen, he did an interview with Jonathan Gavoni of draft express before the draft. And then he was talking about as soon as he gets drafted, his priority is to get an apartment a couple of minutes away from the practice facility and just be able to train as often as possible to really put in the work. So all the messages he's given sort of throughout the process of him getting drafted, they came through again as interviews and they were really everything the books wanted to hear. I wrote a piece on, I'm curious to get your, your thoughts on this. I felt like, the books might have found their new identity that night. Where last year, I don't know how many times we would have had articles about the books don't have an identity or what their identity is, or how many times we talked about it on podcasts, Seen as the whole defensive side of the game completely deserted them. I think they figured it out. And when I wrote about this, there was a few things I sort of stood out for me. And one we talked about at the time was Jabari's exit interview um, after the, the morning after they lost to the Pacers final game of the season where he was talking about he wasn't sure what his other what his fellow teammates were going to do, but he was going to put in work. And if he was to work some people, well, so be it. And we talked about how strange that was at the time, but also that Jabari was sending a message and he was setting a standard. That's who he was going to be. That's who he wanted the team to be. Then we have Yanis. We saw last summer, obviously, the shape. Yanis came back in. He obviously worked really hard. But then even Jason Kidd said last week he was happy for him to go to the Olympics or to go to Olympic qualifying because he's already worked really hard this summer. And just all of a sudden, I feel like work is a word that's coming to the fore. And with them drafting two guys who, I guess, use that word very liberally throughout their press conferences, But also, aside from guys who have a work ethic, they seem like really high-IQ, intelligent guys. Obviously, in Brogdon's case, that's not even up for debate. He's got a master's in public policy. But that feels like a shift. I I don't know. Is that something they realize? Okay, we need to focus first on getting a shape to what we want to do in terms of the sort of guys we're going to bring in, and then we can worry about a style of play. Am I reading too much into that? I guess we'll find out once free agency opens and we see some of their their signings. Then, but is there a chance that they've realized the younger guys want the tone set this way? That has to be our direction, and everything else can be built around that.
0: Um, I don't think you're reading too much into it. I think it's. I think the bigger test will be free agency, and we've already heard reports about some of the guys that. It may or may not be targeting, but it's a good tone setter. I mean, it's a kind of like just like a, uh, maybe like a flare of like, no, well, that's a bad. Well, I was flare is a
1: pretty big signal.
0: Yeah, a flare is a pretty big signal. Maybe it's like a.
1: It's a ray of light.
0: It's a ray of a ray of light, or it's like one of those big flashlights that you just press for like a second and they beam to like you know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, I think I think it, it's definitely a byproduct of what the kind of or the kind of season that they went through. You know, even with Ken, I remember you know we probably talked about this before the season started and as the season went on, Kenny Hammond kind of downplayed what kind of season you know expectations. It, just because you know they had a season winning, that doesn't mean that it's guaranteed for next year. Um, and obviously it was not, but I think even with their tempered expectations, I still think they can, they couldn't help, but feel disappointed about how the season ended and not just the wind itself, but what, how everything, you know, the injuries did not help for sure. But there was other circumstances that just fell by the wayside, you know, Carr Williams, Greg Monroe, obviously, um, you know, not getting the, I was, or the younger guys like Ennis, you know, Inglis, JLB, the best out of those three were definitely Ennis, but even that was still like a very modest uh, rise, not rise, that's a, sorry, but <laughs> uptick, I guess, in performance. So I think that it's not the fact that they stripped it down to just see like, well, what is, What do we want this team to be? But it, Certainly is a byproduct of having a disappointing season the way that they had. So I think it gives them a chance to start anew. And that, you know, for a lot of the last couple of weeks, it felt scary because you know, we don't we just don't know what type of players they're gonna target. I even though we had, you know, a good sense maybe it would be like a guy like Podol or Baldwin, you know, it still is you don't know how all these pieces are gonna fit still. So I think. These guys give them a chance to start a new identity, but it's still what they do in free agency. Free agency for me really sets the tone for next season, especially because a guy like Tom Maker. I think I mean I'm not I'm probably not talking about it out of school here, but I would not be I'd be very surprised if a guy like Todd Maker makes a bigger impact than Brogdon next year. So I think that's I think knowing that that you're you want to have kind of training wheels with thought maker and just kind of get him maybe not the Giannis treatment in, in his rookie season but something a little along those lines kind of be careful with him in his development that you need to get the right veterans and productive players around him so he's not out in the open and it's it's over two over his head or something like that
1: I'm sort of inclined to agree and disagree with that. And that one will all depend on who they bring in in free agency. (sighs) I feel like Brogdon Brogdon might find more veterans in competing for his minutes in the rotation than Maker. I feel like the books are closer to being set at the sort of power forward, even the center spot. There might be one change, but there's not going to be a whole lot more. I have an idea of the shape. And if Maker is not any way capable this year, he's going to get minutes ahead of, I mean, guys like Johnny O'Brien, if he's back, if they guarantee his year. Uh, Novak, if he comes in, let's not pretend Steve Novak isn't like 36 and terrible. Um. I mean, the one thing Hammond has said about Maker, there's a lot of things he won't be able to do, but he should be able to shoot it straight away. They, they yeah. seem to have a lot of confidence in his shot and particularly with the way this books team is, if he can shoot it, he will get some minutes and he might have a nice impact. It just may not be the sort of impact people expect from in terms of their overall impression of what Tom Maker could be. I don't think you're going to be throwing him in there and going, go try the sort of bang bodies with, with big guys down low and grab as many rebounds and block shots. He Maybe he can do some of that from the weak side or whatever, but you're not going to put him into those situations straight away. That's sort of the deep end. But maybe on a lineup, say, where if Henson is the center, so you know you've got some rim protection, you don't have to worry too much about him offering sort of constant coverage where it's a role where you can say, okay, well, do what you can, be a help defender when the ball's on our end of the court. And when we're pushing the other end, you know, hang back and sort of see if you can get yourself a mid-range two, maybe a three, see how that goes. I I feel like that isn't beyond him. And feeling the way the rotations might go, and I think they're gonna they're gonna put some money into backcourt depth, it might be tougher for Brogdon. It shouldn't necessarily. Brogdon is definitely more ready. To come and contribute in lots of ways. But I'm not sure it will ultimately play out like that. We'll see. John Hammond was on Bleacher Report Radio. I don't know if you saw this. Some of the. They tweeted a quote out themselves, which it turned out later when I saw the transcript was horribly inaccurate. Um, (laughs) And I'm not sure if you noticed this, but they tweeted something to the extent out of John Hammond says Tom Maker will be a rotation player, where. The quote really was he said hopefully at worst he will be a rotation player two to three years from now maybe even a starter and he keeps doing this sort of who knows maybe him Jabari Yanis could all be on the court together right? I mean that would be cool this is something Hammond keeps doing he's not really committing to anything but this speaks to something I don't feel like we touched on on the podcast but I honestly feel like the books have Maker as a centre. Not straight away. I don't think it's an option straight away. Obviously, because of his frame is like wafer tin, wafer ton even. Um,
0: Von wafer.
1: <laughs> I mean, can we nickname him Ton Wafer?
0: Ton Wafer. Yeah, so, I'll do it. Uh, yeah, Jordan, Jordan
1: will nickname anybody, anything, really.
0: Exactly. YMCA.
1: <laughs> Andrew Nicholson, I think.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's... Uh, never mind. I was, actually, yeah. We should do a test during the off-season when It's like a dead week.
1: The, de- just- the death sort of... That might be the dead of the podcast as well, but in the the deadest part of the offseason, what you want to you call out nicknames and I have to guess and see if I remember.
0: Or we just do like uh first one to (laughs) ten or something. I don't know.
1: I don't I don't know if I could beat you on nicknames. (laughs) So you spend your days. Yep. (laughs) Longer term, do you feel the books? are sort of hoping and penciling Maker in as if he could be the center. My theory on this is when we see some of the rumors, um, whether it's Noah, who we'll talk about in a minute, even dating back further, whether they're thinking about a guy like Dwight Howard. At the moment, they have a bit of cap space. I wouldn't be surprised if this summer they try to hook in a pretty sort of big name reputable sort of solid proven nba big man pay him very good money and see if they can get a two or three year style deal with the hope then
0: so you're being like a a greg monroe type deal for a big man
1: exactly like a greg monroe deal exactly if they could do that sort of deal with someone proven it would probably be a little bit more expensive this year but if they could do that sort of deal with someone proven exactly that type of deal i see that sort of thing playing out with their hope being at that point say if it's heading after two seasons maker will be ready he'll have proven himself in the nba he'll be the center he'll still be on a rookie scale deal and then they could let the more expensive guy go in time for Jabari's extension to kick in. Does that sort of play out? Because to me, part of where this comes from is I just don't see – I don't see how Maker can be a power forward long term. It just doesn't make sense. The moment you have to put him there because he's going to be killed by stronger guys at center. But come on, a 7-2 power forward doesn't sound right.
0: You know. um, to me, I think, well, first of all, I, I should say I agree with you. I think he is a center. And I think, in particular, Hammond sees that with him. Um, it kind of reminds me of the comments that we heard from him about Giannis before the season started, or this past season started, where he was talking about how, you know, we, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was uh, talking about, you know, the things they could do athletically, you know, scoring the ball. You know, Giannis at that point was still a very exciting player, but he was also talking, he kept saying, once he gets, or once the the game slows down for him, his playmaking, that's what we see with him. And it kind of foreshadowed this, you know, what we now know as Point Giannis, you know what I mean? Like he kept saying that with him for for at at least back the last season, maybe even... The previous offseason, too, I can't remember. But to me, that's how he views Giannis. I feel like he's kind of suggesting this a very similar thing with Thon. And, again, like you said, he's, what, 7'1", 7'2". <laughs> if he bulks up to the right, maybe even, what, 245 pounds. It's still kind of skinny for a guy his size or even a big man. But – it, it's all about how you use your weight, and I think that's – I can just see him be in that role. Whether it's a good role for him or not, I don't know. We'll have to see. But I think I – I have no doubt that he's not – or that he won't be a, a center eventually. So.
1: The other thing, and just when you say that there about how you use your, your size – Obviously, in the day since the draft, I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of research on Maker and his background. And one, one thing that I found particularly interesting, um, nothing to do with his age, don't look so loud Jordan, <laughs> but he, I guess, he descends from one of a number of Sudanese tribes. There are sort of four to five dominant tribes in sudan now south sudan obviously the, the part of the country that maker's from but the tribe that tom maker descends from is called the dinka tribe and what they're known for is their exceptional height i want to say average height for men is 6 4 for women is 6 2. wow but one of their characteristics is they're noted for these really sort of slim frames but exceptional strength for, for these slim frames. I found that really interesting because we're all looking at him and going, oh, he's 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 not strong enough, or he only weighs this amount. He might not ever be able to bulk up in a traditional way that we see a lot of sort of a lot of American guys, a lot of European guys build up because genetically he comes from a very different background. His his makeup of his body is so different like he, he just he doesn't look like a lot of these other guys he doesn't look like Giannis in terms yeah. of only Giannis was super skinny he was super long it's a different thing I tweeted about this during the press conference from the site's account but Maker's shoulders are so broad that you feel like he can fill in you feel like he, he can really bulk up to that point but at the same time I don't know if his shoulders so broad, or if it's that his head is so thin, and that sounds ridiculous. But once again, that's another characteristic that seemingly the dinka people have. So he's so different to a lot of what we've seen in the NBA and a lot of what we've seen with the books that it's just hard to go and grab at these comparisons. And it makes me curious. Like he talks about, he spent the past two years. He said he's put up 20, 27 pounds in Canada in the past two years, which is a lot of weight and um, mm. you'd hope you put up more, but he was, he even made a joke during the press conference that he sort of, he's still trying to eat as much as he can. He's still trying to get bigger. That might just not happen, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he won't be strong. There are traits there that are a little bit different. And I guess that describes him in every way. He's a little bit different and we're going to have to wait and see and see how it develops. But there's a whole, there's sort of there's a whole angle to this, which is just it's so unusual and so stark in contrast to most of what we know in terms of NBA players. Like you just you can't assess Tom Maker like you can any other player in that draft, and that's what makes it so hard to accept the books picking him at ten. And for me, at the same time, now that things have settled, it makes it so difficult for me to say he's the wrong pick or the right pick because we just really don't have a read on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There are two other guys, South Sudanese guys, of the same sort of heritage, the same sort of genetics in the NBA as or who have been the NBA as maker. And one is Luol Deng, also from South Sudan, I guess Deng is, he is long. He sort of has a pretty slim frame, but he did fill out. Still, all in all, he looks a little bit more like your traditional NBA athlete. The other guy, I'm sure you, you know this. I don't know if everyone else is, knows the other South Sudanese who has played in the NBA.
0: Mm, it's not a baka, is it?
1: No, it's Manute Bow. Oh
0: my yeah, duh.
1: So So wow. like I think that's something which if you're looking at a guy, Manute Ball in his rookie season averaged five blocks per game. <laughs> and it's like he was he was seven seven, so he was yeah he had a little bit of an advantage in that sense. But once again, for any of you who aren't familiar with him, go and look at pictures of Manute Ball there's i'm looking at a grey picture of him here when he's a washington bullet if you if you google a new ball it's on the first page you'll find it his legs literally look like twigs they look like they could snap and this is a guy who not only paved a career for himself in the nba but did so very effectively and at a time where the physical center was everything i mean There was no Draymond Greens playing at centre. You didn't have that luxury where you're going to have sort of a fair sort of strength matchup, even if you're that slight. So there's something very different just about Maker's body type. And that comes in his athleticism, but it's also his build. And I think that's going to be something fascinating. I wouldn't be surprised if when he first gets there straight away, we're going, wow, he actually seems stronger than we thought. Or if it is a couple of years, we go he's still really slim, but all of a sudden he's sort of holding his own down there. It just wouldn't surprise me. I think it's something different and that's hard to process, but I mean, the books have... Yanis was different in his own way. We've all adjusted to that now and that's worked out really well. If Maker can be comparably different, not in the same way as Yanis. Let's not do that people. We've already been over that one. But if he can sort of play to his own style, like Giannis has done, working a way on building his body as best as he can for the NBA, but also sort of embracing the physical gifts he has, who knows what we'll, what we'll see come out of it. Before we move on from the draft and before we move on from Tom Maker, we, I think we very briefly addressed this on, on Thursday night, but it, it became... It's become so much bigger since then that we need to do it again. And this is Tonmaker's age. At this point, I'm sure most of you have seen or made jokes about Tonmaker being anything from 21, 22, 23 to maybe 33. Um, Tonmaker age jokes are they are pretty hot at the moment. They're everywhere. You can't turn around without seeing them. And um, we have all of the world's best private investigators—the ones who live on Reddit, of course. Um, <laughs> home to all the great minds on the planet, they have unearthed all of this evidence of Tom Maker in graduating high school years earlier, suggesting he's twenty-three. I'm pretty comfortable going on record now with, I've already tweeted about this a few days ago, I think Jordan backs me up. Right now, there is nothing, there's nothing that feels out of the ordinary or that is sort of definitive in a way where we go, there's definitely a big problem here, something is wrong, and I am 100% confident that Tom Maker is 19 years of age. You agree in that, Jordan? Yes. Okay. There are a few things we want to touch on with this, because it's been everywhere. There are so many just theories flying out there, and there have been some interesting points made by multiple people. I know Jordan and I have had some thoughts, and we've discussed amongst ourselves, and there are just so many reasons that point against this being a real thing. First of all, one Jordan pointed out to me today. Everyone wants to pin this on the books or wants to laugh at the books. Of course, the books have drafted the guy who could be 23. Of course, the books have drafted the guy who we can't pin down his real age. As Jordan pointed out to me earlier, the NBA were the people who made him draft eligible. So all of the information we're presented with has been presented to the NBA with his application. It's been approved by them. They've allowed him into this year's draft class. And they've basically said to their 30 organizations, this player is 19 years of age. He's from South Sudan, Australia. They've gone through all of the things that we know. Or if you are one of these crazy conspiracy theorists theorists that we think we know about Tonmaker, given all of that across and they've said this is what you're working with there are probably a whole lot of complicated things that would unfold if it turned out he wasn't one i think it would mean that he should never have been eligible Mm
0: -hmm.
1: age-wise that would rule him out of i guess any any sort of claim to being eligible particularly the route he went where he bypassed college and he came out of high school all of that would ring major alarm bells with the nba so that would mean he shouldn't be eligible and in that case the nba would be somewhat responsible and i'm going to take a guess the Bucks, having used the 10th overall pick wouldn't be too happy and that's the sort of thing that you could see make its way out to the courts secondly another good point um it Was you who passed this on to me? I think. Was it Steve Kyler, a basketball insider as you said that pointed this one out? Yes. Yes. So we're also quick to make the jokes when the books sign, trade for, or draft a player who is represented by XL management or Jeff Schwartz. Jason Kidd's agency. Um there are certain certain people who go out and they write articles as to link these things year on year make a big deal out of it let's be really honest here because it's important in this context Tonmaker is represented by the people who we are convinced have this insider influence on in the books that they they're able to sway the books to make decisions if we're going along with this way of thinking which it's, let's be honest is more reasonable than a lot of the tonmaker stuff that's out there at the moment
0: Hashtag the Bucks are a shell corporation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, last, the last thing we're going to expect Excel to do is to feed the people who they are closest to inaccurate information. I think as you put it to me, Jordan, Steve Kyler had said, look, if anybody is going to have the full story on Tom Maker, considering who his agents are, it's going to be the Bucks. The Bucks are going to know everything there is to know about him." Yep. And you can view that in whatever ways you want, as in, oh, so the books have taken another Excel client. At this point, they're one of the biggest agencies in the game. Having a good working relationship with them is a positive thing, particularly in a case like this one. If you think that, I mean, unless Maker is this great con artist who has filled not only the books, the MBA the world in general, but the people he's paying to represent him. Unless he's in it alone, I want to say his management would know and there would be a lot more to risk for them by burning their bridges with the books. So any sort of maker being 23 coming out, them having said to the books, oh, no, this is our guy. Remember the books attended the workout they held for him? Um, Hammond has been on record since saying that's where they were really impressed with Maker, and they were shocked there was not more interest with him after that workout in New York. All of these things tie together, and you feel like, okay, let's think about where the books are getting their information from. Same it's the place where they're listening to all of the information they get. If something was to be found to be wrong there, it's a major problem. It's Kid's agent. It's Rashad Vaughn's agent. Uh, I want to say it's Middleton's agent as well. Uh, That one's a little more gray,
0: I think. He might be Carl Williams for sure.
1: Bayless, Uh, Middleton is Middleton's. He's not a Jeff Schwartz client, but he is Excel management. Lastly, and I guess this should be the thing that really debunks this for now anyway until some more Sherlock Holmes characters dig up some new evidence quote unquote the pictures of maker these yearbook pictures that were going around twitter going around reddit um, where he's pictured beside a girl that some random person knows and is 23 John Gavoni of Draft Express chimed in on this today and he said he was only passing on what he knew. And what he knew was that yearbook was not just your regular high school yearbook, it was an English school that Ton Maker was attending. Remember, Maker, like pretty much all the Sudanese, South Sudanese guys who land in Australia don't speak English as a native language. They have to learn to speak English. This was a school where Tom Maker was learning to speak English. So yes, the item was 23 at the time of graduating, but that has no correlation to Maker's age because there were people of different ages there because this was not your standard high school. So I think the way Gavoni put that is, yes, it is the same Tom Maker in the picture. There's no debate. There's no issue with that. but. Everyone's just jumping to assumptions that this is a yearbook. This is like the yearbook that I have pictures in. So this must mean you know what I mean, we're getting two plus two equals five here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know, maybe maybe it's because I'm I don't know. I think this is bizarre to a lot of a lot of people. I think you find it bizarre, Jordan. You are American, that's where you've lived your entire life. <laughs> For me, I find things because I'm like, just things aren't as black and white as everyone wants to seem to make it. I, At different stages, I would have went to school with people and African, African immigrants in particular who would have been different ages. And for that sort of reason, you would have some people who they might be older and they were in a younger class because they didn't speak English as well. You have others who then had more education and they were put ahead. Like anyone who moves from one country to another, the education system is different. So if they're assessed based on where their level is, there's no reason to say they wouldn't be placed in a different range when they end up in a different country. This is something that sort of, I don't know, maybe it's because through my time going to school through various levels here, there were a lot of different nationalities coming into Ireland and I had this experience but when it's not just sort of all the local kids from the neighborhood this can happen this is they have to sort of make a judgment you can't put the guy who is 10 years old and doesn't speak any English into a class with other 10-year-olds who have a certain range of abilities and a certain range of tasks to work off of. So even before any of this, it being in English school or not, came out, I must admit I was a little bit puzzled, just as it, there, there are plenty of plausible explanations. It's like, there's this whole witch hunt where it's like, oh, well, look, we've got this, so he must be guilty. It's like, no... We've no proof that he's guilty or innocent based off of that. There's there's nothing definitive at all. So it's like it just it is what it is. And this quote, I don't know if you noticed, um, it went around a lot over the weekend again. It was to me, it was the quote he gave in his interview immediately after the draft with NBA TV, where he was asked about it. I think his exact words, and this is how I know it's the same quote, unless he just uses this phrase all the time. But it stood out to me as it was not very natural for sort of a native English speaker where he kept saying he wouldn't be sideways about it because it wasn't true. So this this particular line just it sort of jumps out to me because it doesn't feel very smooth. And Gary Washburn, very respected basketball beat writer the Boston Globe, he sort of wrote about this the weekend. And it was only reported as a new thing again, as if. Tom Maker was coming out to deny he was he was uh, any older than 19 again. where well, he wasn't. He sort of said on the night, look, this is a non-issue. We don't need to talk about it. If there was something up, then I'd feel strange. But it's just sort of, look, it's a weird thing, but I just ignore it because it's not true. And you've got to take it at face value. There really is nothing definitive to prove it. We make a lot of jokes about decisions the books make. A lot of jokes, but decisions the books make. <laughs> um, Jordan has lived through a lot of bad decisions. We've seen a lot of strange things happen in the front office. As we said on Thursday night, when they're going to invest millions of dollars, which it is straight away, maker is a first-round pick. He's going to be paid millions of dollars. They're going to invest millions of dollars in a player. Do you really not think the books did a bit of digging and found out his age, because this isn't something that just sort of appeared. They would have heard these whispers a few months back as well. So yeah. when that comes up, if there was any doubt, I feel like they would have dug in, find out, found out about it. We're not even talking about this is just a basketball organization. Remember sort of the level of business, the ownership is at. And as we know, they are very involved in all basketball decisions. They were in the war room on that night when the pick was made. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, Eden's was definitely there. I don't know if I saw Lazry, but there was there was an Giant ownership. Was there. Okay, so we at least had two of three. There was an ownership presence in the decision-making room. Those guys aren't going to say, oh, yeah, we don't care what you're going to spend millions of our money on. Spend them on the guy who's really 23 and pretend he's 19. It just it doesn't add up. That was much longer than I wanted to go on that, but it's important to get it out of the way because unless something groundbreaking comes along where we have to hold our hands up and go, look, we were wrong. You were right all along, conspiracy theorists. It's not something I want to spend any more time talking about. It's not something I want to write about. We haven't written about it on site. To me, it's a nonsense. It's fear-mongering to go any further with it because we have no real evidence It's a common thing that's happened with lots of African players over the years. People seem to think this line of, oh, but it's coming from his time in Australia and not in Sudan, that makes it different. It's like there's this common theme of international players because their background doesn't exactly line up with a traditional college background. These sort of questions come up and it's ridiculous. So let's just get over it. Let's assume he's 19. Move on. I'll take a deep breath now. <laughs> tweets me been bugging me. Let's move on to free agency. We're now only, what are we, uh, three days when this posts? Away from free agency kicking off. So far we've had two names linked with the books. They are Joaquim Noah, long time Chicago Bull Center. Um, noah has been reported to be in line for a 28 million dollar max contract and uh, the books were one of four teams um said to be preparing a substantial offer whether it was that substantial or not the books were in amongst the timberwolves the knicks and the wizards with interest in him the other player was Cleveland Cavaliers point guard slash all-around troublemaker, (laughs) Matthew Delvadova. Books are said to be very keen on Delvadova. The price mentioned for him, which for those of you who haven't been paying attention to the cap going up, this is the point where you'll be terrified after $28 million for Noah The price being bandied around for Davidova is $10 million per year. The books were linked to them, as were the Pistons and one other team who isn't coming to me right now. Um, But there were, once again, sort of three teams said to be interested. Let's start with Noah. We'll take the price out of it for a second because that makes this very black and white, very definitive. In terms of Joachim Noah, the player. How do you feel about the books going after him, his fit with the team? Would that be a wise acquisition?
0: I would say yes. But, there's a big but here. Um, I think... I, 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 don't, I'm so unsure what kind of player he will be. And obviously if you know, that's a lot, very concerning to a lot of people. He's 31. He has a long list of injuries. Uh, I mean, you know, he's played a lot of minutes too, obviously that contribute to his injuries under, you know, under Thibodeau and all that stuff, but in a very defined role, and say he plays 28 minutes a night or something like that, which is probably have to do because of, you know, having guys like Henson, uh, you know, we'll see Monroe, but we also know the chat, you know, rumors around him. Um, I think he could work in a very defined role for the Bucks. He clearly is a veteran. He's... Defensive mind first. Uh, offensively, that's a little bit different. I mean, we know about the playmaking, the playmaker that he is, but he obviously doesn't really space the floor. Um, I mean, uh, offensively, you can't rely on him to, you know, get points. But he would have to be, you know, a key. Distributor, I guess a secondary distributor, maybe even the third distributor tertiary I
1: guess. point Noah is what you're saying
0: Point Noah, that's there we go Who,
1: who <laughs> says they're looking at them as the center? That's true. I mean we can just throw out like a
0: bunch of seven-footers. You know they go. like length, yeah. <laughs> yeah Hashtag was it team all length. Team all
1: length is what Tom maker is He's all set on that. He brought it up again at his press conference. Um, so hashtag, <laughs> hashtag Team All Lent. That needs to be the slogan. I mean, it's time to forget about owning the future and fearing the yeah. deer. It's just Team All Lent.
0: First Team All Length.
1: There you oh, go. Yeah. that. They oh, need to do like yeah. a promo video of them all clapping and First Team All Lent. <laughs> um, Maybe Maker. Yeah. They, they could do King of the North for, for Maker either. And this was time spent in Canada.
0: Oh, there, yeah. I was wondering where you go with that, but now I get it.
1: It was just the chanting, just brought King of the North to my mind. Mm. Okay. Is that
0: copyright infringement? on of pr- the North.
1: I don't think you can copyright King of the North. If if Game Game of Thrones would own that, if you could, but I don't think you can. Yeah. I, I mean, if you were the king in some northern country, you would be the king of the north. So, I don't think you can do that, but yeah. I'm all down for Tom Maker being king of the north either, if we're talking nicknames here. We'll do that.
0: <laughs> um, where was I? Oh! Uh, in summary, uh, I think you did the a good fit for the Bucks, and it's... I, I think it's clear that it's not just what he can bring on the court, I think it's establishing a tone, trying to get, you know, the young guys in, you know, good mix of veterans, all that stuff. And Noah's obviously a very driven out, not outspoken in a bad sense of the term, but just, you know, he is a very, you know, he's a leader. That's what he is. He's completely
1: and, crazy in a good way. Like yes, he's, yes. he's so driven and motivated. Like he's not going to, if his teammates aren't working hard or they're not really playing as he'd like them to, he's, he's going to call guys out and he's going to get on their case. And um, mm-hmm. so if we're looking for sort of accountability within the ranks of the team. He'd seem like a good fit for that. I mean, you're right. He's, I feel like there's, there's a little point in speaking about his defense. You're talking about a former defensive player of the year and he's super high IQ just in terms of positioning. He's not as quick, I'm sure, as he used to be, but I would still. I mean, you ha- you could have much worse big guys switch out onto smaller men than Noah. I mean, I feel like he's going to be relatively comfortable still in those scenarios. So if healthy, his defense still doesn't concern me. I feel like he can be a great defender still. The offense, the, what was already limited, I feel like is even more limited now.
0: It's cratered.
1: Think of the way the books like to play with Miles Plumley, for example. I don't think Noah can get up to finish dunks anymore. I'm not sure his knees, his back, I'm not sure they'll have that in them to really sort of go after high octane fast breaks. He's not going to be able to. I mean, he'll try. He's as game as they come. So he will try, but I'm not sure if that's the best idea for him. I think that part of the fit is forced. And it's an important important part of the, the book center's job. I mean, we all say we want a great defender, but that sort of comes with they don't have to do much on offense. The only thing we really want them to do is be able to run the floor, to be a rim runner. That worries me a little bit just because it could be such a lack of an option. The passing is great. Um, and he he should be strong enough to hold his own inside. So I can only imagine some of the the high low passing game you could get going if you had Noah in there. And Monroe is a really good passer, but Noah is a step up in that regard. Um, so that would be really exciting. I'm just I'm worried that you're not going to look for him to score. But I guess in a way, those sort of transition points that Plumley got. They're as much, they're really, you have to consider them like as Yannis points or Jabari points or Middleton points. They're the guys who are doing all the work. They're getting out there running and they're going to try to pass up there. Mm-hmm. If he can't finish that, I think it just hurts everyone a little bit. It's a tr- It's a tricky thing to manage because that should be part of who the books become on the floor. They should have a little bit of getting out of running and just sort of Throwing the ball up and finishing, that's what they've done really well in the last, I suppose we could say the last two seasons, but particularly last year was one of the few things they did well. Not being able to do that concerns me a little bit. To consider now the, the salary, I'm skeptical as to whether it will be that high. I'm just—I'm not convinced you—you you can give these teams all the money in the world, and I'm still not convinced they're gonna take a twenty-eight million dollar gamble on what is he thirty, nearly thirty-two now, thirty-two in December, I want to say. Sounds right. I—I I don't think that's gonna happen. Doesn't mean it won't go relatively close, but I just don't think it's gonna fully push up to that. The other thing, um. Report from the Chicago Sun Times. Um, I want to say it was on Sunday, where sources close to Noah wanted to be pretty vocal in getting his list of off-season priorities out there, and they want to clarify that anyone saying he's targeting big money or it's all about the money for him, they don't know what kind of guy he is. They don't know his character and his list of priorities went something like he wants to be on a team that's capable of winning which isn't surprising he's not the sort of guy who's gonna want to join a like a lock for the lottery you'd feel like noah wants to at least be on a team who's gonna be competitive make playoff runs maybe challenge for titles whatever and next one was he wants to be able to start and finish games Lastly, he wants a team who are going to support and get involved with his charity, with his foundation, um, named Noah's Ark, which I know our pun master Jordan approves of. If they are his three biggest priorities, if they are outranking money, and I made this point when I wrote about this earlier today, You always have guys in the NBA who will take less money to go to the kind of situation they want. The most recent example is David West last year. David West turned down nearly, I want to say, $11 million to go and have a chance of winning a title with the Spurs rather than staying in Indiana. That happens and it's going to happen again. But part of why that could happen for David West was David West had already made his money when he was in New Orleans in his time in Indiana. He was one of the better paid players. There was no shortage of opportunities financially for David West. Noah is very similar. Noah has made over 72 million in salary in his time in the NBA, of course. These guys finish up their careers young. They want to have as much as possible because they need to set themselves up for the rest of their lives. They need to take care of themselves, take care of their families. Saying that, a discount this year is the best discount that any NBA player has ever taken. A discount this year for for Noah could still be seventeen million dollars, fifteen million dollars. So if you're signing, if you're signing a four-year deal which gives you $60 million and you're like, Oh yeah, you know, I want to be in the right situation. I don't leave some money on the table. I'm going to settle for this $60 million deal. And we're going to this team. that's a good fit. I mean, that's not unrealistic. I don't know why people are so set on the money is going to change everything. It won't for guys who have been around a while. They've made their money. They've tasted sort of different situations And they know where they want and where they don't want to spend their final years in Noah's case in the league. So I feel like there's a case to be made. The Bucs could probably tick the three boxes he's asked for there. Would he start and finish games in Milwaukee? 100%. Would they be a winning team? I think if Noah signed and Noah was healthy, the Bucs would have a winning record. I feel confident that they need some. They need some more nice additions still to be sort of really assured of it. But I feel safe in saying if a veteran of his quality came in to go with the young talent we have, you'd have to start feeling pretty optimistic about next season because that would be a big step up in a quality defensive player, but also in filling that gap they had of veteran leadership. Would the books get involved with his foundation? I think 100%. The books are, they feel like one of the more active teams in the league in terms of charity. They've just set up their own foundation. They work with the Mac Fund every year and they work with all of the players, sort of individual foundations as well. I want to say every home game, don't they like bring local kids to the games or each, each player sort of brings kids from one school and things? They have all sorts of charitable work that they involve themselves in i don't see that as an issue what it boils down to me for then is the length of the contract we touched on this earlier when i was talking about what maybe long-term expectations for maker are if you're the books do you overpay maybe what's some of the market assuming the market isn't at 28 million obviously but would you pay Noah quite a lot for, say, two years? Or would you lock into a four-year deal on him where you're paying him maybe $17 million a year?
0: I um, would probably... I think my offer to him would be... I think the highest ever it would be twenty million uh, spread over three years.
1: Yeah, I guess that's even that's more than maybe I was thinking. I was thinking something like I pay them more per year, but I take one year away. Like if you were to push the boat out and you were gonna go, okay, let's we have cap now, we'll have some cap would be able to be creative next year and make it work if they wanted to and I'm not advising this but they could say two years 22 million which is it's the sort of substantial offer that was mentioned in the report from Sporting News and you'd feel like even if he was thinking from a financial perspective that would make him think On the other side of it, you could go something like 17 million a year and add years and go four years or whatever and say, look, it's only 17 million to the hold. One, as we've talked about lots of times when extensions have kicked in for both Jabari and Yanis, that creates its own challenge. But also, I'd be more nervous of even on a cheaper deal, even if it was declining, like 14 million for Noah four years from now. That would be a... Uh, I don't feel too comfortable with that. Yeah. If we're questioning now what he has left in his body, what's he going to have left four years from now? So, I feel like it could be a player definitely worth exploring, but if I was the books, I'd get to him early, basically 12 one and say, look, this is how it is. We can't offer you years. If you want this to be your last sort of security, long-term deal we can't give you that what's on the table is two years 22 million you'll be our starting center you'll play with a really good exciting young core we hope to make the playoffs maybe even be surprised sort of contenders towards the top few seeds in the east we'll work with your charity call us and let us know that's basically how i'd approach it But no if he wants more money if he wants more years if he just doesn't want to come to Milwaukee, which considering Noah's history of comments about some of the smaller cities in the United States, it's not impossible. Um, But then again, on the flip side, I mean, he's lived in Chicago. doesn't get much easier for him to move all of his stuff. Maybe he doesn't want the hassle. (laughs) Maybe he'll leave millions of dollars on the table just to be like, you know what? This is a really easy move. Yeah. I could be all settled in within within a day or so.
0: You just has to call two men in a truck.
1: There you go. All all sorted. Yeah. The books would even cover two men in a truck firm, I wanna say. Look, yeah. 22 men in a year and two men in a truck.
0: Those two men are David Inglis and Joseph. <laughs> <laughs>
1: After neither of their guarantees are taken over, yeah, all right. they go into we business have... together, yeah. <laughs> uh, fun, kind of realistic alternate reality there. Um, moving on from Noah. This is great because when we have this conversation, everyone listening is probably going to be shouting. Maybe not so nice things at us, but we can't hear them. It's important they know that. They have to listen to us, but we don't have to listen to them. (laughs) Matthew Delavidova. I'm going to say one of the most hated figures in the entire NBA.
0: Definitely top five.
1: Which is like bizarre because he's this like six foot two, six foot three. Seemingly harmless little Australian, man.
0: Little bugger.
1: <sighs> Apologies, all of our Australian friends. Um, the Delvedova interest, or the rumors of Delvedova interest, come from ESPN's Brian Windhorst. He mentioned on a recent episode of The Low Post with Zach Lowe that the books have been sort of, they've had their, their hearts set on Matthew Delvedova. They're
0: they infatuated with Matthew.
1: I didn't want to use that word yet, but he did use back at the trade deadline the line that the books would love to have Matthew Delvedova. And
0: from, do you remember John Hammond's comments last week about how drafting is like a marriage?
1: <laughs> I do remember that,
0: yeah. First comes love, then comes marriage. Matthew Delvadova, come
1: on in. Go. Jordan has just set the scene for you all. Mm-hmm. So, see the books have been, I'll say infatuated, we'll keep Jordan quiet so I can get through the rest of the story. Um, See, the books have been infatuated with Delvadova for a while. Jason Kidd was spotted at a recent finals game, I want to say Game 3 in Cleveland. I want to say it was Game 3. And the reason for his visit, not just sort of being a big NBA fan and wanting to go to the finals, according to Brian Windhorst, it was to scout Delvadova. He wasn't alone at the game. Book scouts have been a regular presence at Cavs games. Delvadova is reportedly going to fetch close to $10 million a year. Windhor says the the Cavs would love to keep him, but at that price, it's not going to be an option. First of all, as we did with Noah, let's talk fit. How would you feel about Matthew Davidova being the new addition for the books, a point guard, possibly the book starting point guard, heading into next season? What are your opinions, Jordan? That's at Jordan Tresky on Twitter for any of you who haven't seen Jordan's Twitter avatar yet. Uh, yes.
0: Um, I think we talked about this before. Uh, Probably around the trade deadline when these seemingly came out of the blue. Um, but Delvadova is, for what he could do, and we see him with the Cavs team, it, he would have the same type of role on the Bucks if he, you know, came to Milwaukee. And it's a role that he already has experience in. He's improved as a shooter. They, uh, the recent His recent games of the finals were the best, and obviously he fell out of the rotation. Uh, but in the regular season, he has proved that he is a very, uh, not just capable, he's a very good three-point shooter. Um, and defensively, he's, he's an irritant. That's what he is. He irritates people. He, he knows, I know the, thing with him and it clearly you know rose through the wrong way but it's he just knows it's it's because or i remember like what was it last year when he rose through the playoffs and obviously got into the instance that he did but it was he the, everybody kept talking about how he has this workman like skill because he had to fight his way through you know make it to the nba in the first place and then trying to get into the rotation and then you know, obviously where it came from, but that's his role. That's what he knows how to do. Uh, he's only this is what was his third year, maybe. So he's still relatively young. You never know. I'm not saying he's gonna become this top ten point guard or anything like that. But he just plays within his role, and that's what he did what he could do for the Bucks. The, um, big fit. It makes a lot of sense. It just makes a lot of sense to me.
1: I mean, everyone who hates this idea, you need to go and have a look at free agent point guards this year. Yes. Uh, because no one fits better than Davidova. That might be unfortunate, but that's reality. There are other ways too, though, because even if he ends up costing 10 million, which is... It's a lot for matches of
0: Just think of all the corona he could buy and Hawaiian shirts.
1: But even at $10 that's cheap when you're only a lot of the other guys who would fit. And this isn't going to be a position where the Bucs can cough up tons of money. It's just not the way their roster is set up. It's not the way they have to manage their salary cap, considering the positions where their most talented players play. Delhi really does everything the Bucs need. Literally everything. Jordan's right. Um, he has gone through the whole point forward. He has played with LeBron James and played really well. But I find the not just with Deli. I think with Harrison Barnes too. This whole thing of like Barnes was, I suppose, a bit more extended. So maybe it's not as bad. But people sort of knocking Dela Vadova, going, "Why? Would you, look how bad he was in those two games. Why would you want him? I mean, if the Bucks got to the finals and had a matching up against Steph Curry and he was." made to look really bad in the finals against Steph Curry. I think we'd all deal with that. We'd all say, okay, he is not one of the best point guards in the league. God damn it. We got all the way to the finals and we got found out. That's not, that's not the worst thing in the world to happen. That wasn't an issue throughout the whole regular season, though. It really wasn't something that people were calling him a liability or anything. And he played a really big role throughout the season. And also, people have to think back on this. If he comes to the books, potential, I guess, more chances are he's going to be the starter. And he's had close to experience of that. Because Kyrie Irving has had pretty significant injuries in his time there. So he's had spells where he has had to play in that role nearly. Mm. He'll be able to handle the ball he'd be able to create. You just don't want to make him do it that often because he's not the most accomplished. That's fine. That's gotta be Yannis' job. But as a secondary ball handler, he'd be fine. Jordan's right, he can shoot, he's an improved shooter, he will knock down open jump shots. I'm actually not sure if his defense is good or if he's just so pesky that he's always in the way. If you know what I mean. I don't I can't look at his defense and say like he's Technically, a good defender, but he just gets the results he needs on defense because he's that tenacious. And it he's doesn't... like, sorry to pick up, right no, okay. it's like he's like
0: a good point of attack defender. You know what I mean? Like, point guards, obviously, they I'll, I'll give you another
1: another guy, actually, uh, someone who I know quite well, uh, but who does a very similar set of thing to Davidova is Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. And Schroeder is obviously a much more talented offensive player. It's funny we're mentioning Schroeder because he's someone a lot of books fans talked about earlier in the season they'd like the idea of. Um, they're almost identical in terms of their attitude, except that he doesn't come with the same ego. Um, but in terms of their on-court approach, is near identical. they boat both pick up the opposing ball handler, the full length of the floor, every single play. There will be not one play off, and it's, with both of those guys, it's shown. That's such a silly little detail, like if your guys have the stamina to be able to do that, just to pick up the full length of the court every single time, don't let a guy just carry it over half-court at leisure and then make whatever decisions he chooses. If you do that every time, over the course of 48 minutes, that grates on people to the point where they get really frustrated. They make terrible decisions. It's such a minor thing, but it works. Delavido will do that. Com- continuing the Schroeder comparison, he's a better shooter. He's not going to create quite yes. as well, but he's a better shooter. So that's a guy a lot of people wanted. You know, there's sort of the pros and cons of that one. Um, in terms of what the books are looking to deal with, Delhi isn't that bad. I understand why everyone hates him but I don't get why people can't get past that and just sort of see the fit. And particularly when we look at other options out there, like who who are the books going to really at this point, who are they going to get? Who is the starting point guard? Because in free agency, there's not a ton of options. I I genuinely, I think he is the best one that's realistic. Mike Conley is not an option. People that sort of thing is gone. That talk has died down for most fans, thankfully, but not an option. George Hill um, was available via trade, but he has been traded. So the Jazz aren't going to trade him. He's exactly the point guard they needed. Um, Jeff Teague has been traded as part of that deal. It's not going to be him. Like I don't know all these sort of targets. I don't know who's left even in trades that you feel confident the Bucs will go after and they'll be the right type of fit. It's getting really really down on the ground. Yeah.
0: I mean <laughs> if you really want to see what the point guard or you know classes like in this free agency, just listen to what when we went through all the positions and it's it gets dire very fast.
1: Let me go through a list of some of the I, I have a list of free agent options. Um We'll put my colony at the top, and my colony is not going to happen. We get to other point guards that maybe the books could consider, and this is your your free agents you're picking from. Della Vadova, Jordan Clarkson, Darren Williams, Jeremy Lin, Langston Galloway, Mario Chalmers, Seth Curry, Ty Lawson. And for those of you who really, really have lost your grip on reality, Brandon Jennings, that's, let's do it all over again. Let's bring Brandon Jennings back. That's But that's what you're picking from this summer. Outside of Delvadova, I think my next favorite is Darren Williams. Yep. Maybe Jeremy Lin. Yeah. Langston Galloway I like, but that's... I don't think anyone's going to people will feel more comfortable with Delavadova if he has to play starter's minutes than Galloway straight off. Mm-hmm. A Seth Curry comes up all the time. He showed tenacious defense, whatever he can shoot. I if he's not the starter, he's further away from that. He hasn't been Delavadova is like tried and tested on a legitimately great team. He hasn't had three good months with the Sacramento Kings it's really pretty grim and he's one of the best options there is and he should fit in the price range even if he goes up to the higher end of what he's likely to command he should be at a price that's appealing to the books works with everything else they have in place like it are loaded i think it's a pretty good option and considering things the books could do this summer it might be one of their smarter moves of point guard
0: the, that's, the, uh, that's the thing that I think people are whenever point guard is discussed, it it comes obviously with you know FCW or Delva Delva just anything. This does not mean Delva Delva is a long term option. We we know more we don't know what the we know what the Bucks need from point guard right now due to how the makeup of the team is. But that could always change down the line, and don't. There you go.
1: No, that, that could change. Like it could be the sort of thing. Like if you think of, think of lots of championship teams. Th- think of like the mid two thousands or even the later in two thousands Lakers teams that won championships. Or think of, um, think of like the Shaq and D Wade Heat team, um. Mm-hmm. I think in both of those cases, Gary Payton came in, didn't he, and became point guard. On I don't know if he, did he win a championship. In both of those teams. He was on the Heat. I think um, he, he might have won one with the Lakers.
0: He was. He was the year that he joined the Lakers was the year that they lost to Detroit.
1: You're right. So he's won one championship, and he he was in two finals. But at that point, he was past his prime, but sort of basically they were teams who their stars weren't at the point guard spot. In both cases, their best players were a shooting guard and the center and they needed someone who was just going to stay out of the way, make simple decisions, come in and do what was needed. And they could turn to guys like Gary Payton, who at that stage was so far past his prime. And they just plug him in and that was enough. And that's the way the Bucks could be. They could to have Delavadova for three years, and if the things were going really well, the team's in position to contend right now, who knows what type of player they could get in a one-year deal at the end of that. Also, someone like Malcolm Brogdon, if we're talking about types and we're talking about defense and shooting, Delvadova might be the guy you bring in because you go, okay, let's find out what we need. This is what we think our starting point guard needs to be. He needs to be able to play good defense and he needs to be able to shoot. Not necessarily elite in both areas, but just good enough in both that we're not going to be let down on either department. If they bring Delvadova in and he proves he can do that, there's no reason to say a guy like Brogdon, who's technically a shooting guard, but can create a little... Very good shooter, excellent defender. There's no reason why he couldn't ultimately be the guy to play the one. There's no reason why they couldn't sign some shooting guards this summer who fit that same mold of being able to play 3 and D. And you go, you know what? We don't need the strict point guard type again. We could play with an extra wing or whatever. But this is the next point in this experiment. And if we're honest, I'm going to get to this a little bit more soon. They wouldn't have to try this if Michael Carter-Williams could play defense or shoot. I think they have they have the type of player, as in the size. They want Michael Carter-Williams to be that guy, but he hasn't delivered it. And now they need to know, well, what is it we need beside Giannis? Bayless might have given them a glimpse. Ennis might have given them a glimpse. Now they really need to find out. So there's there's very little risk in the dalva signing. I don't, it's not stopping them from getting a superstar. That's not what they're looking for. They could try it out. And as you said, it'll be one of their more fluid positions that it's the sort of spot where they could make a trade just like that. And if they got him on a good contract, he'd be easily tradable. And just like that, like you've just seen the Jazz pull off a deal where they gave up the pick that they have. The 12th pick, and they picked up George Hill. If you're a team ready to contend, ready to compete right now, and you could do something like that, that's perfect. Why can't the Bucks do a similar deal a few years down the line? Obviously, you'd hope it's not a lottery pick, but these things happen. You just don't know. That can be flipped just like that, but in the interim, I'm not sure they're going to find a better option right now. He's closer to the style of what they seem to need. Let's imagine that the books don't bring back pretty much all of the guys who are leaving. So let's run through. Jared Bayless, Grievous Vasquez, OJ Mayo, Steve Novak, Miles Plumley. And uh, for the sake of argument, let's say one of Johnny O'Brien's Damien Inglis doesn't get their option picked up. Two men in a truck. <laughs> that would be both of them. We'll say one. One man in a truck.
0: One man in a
1: truck. The, the other one will have to wait another year until the other one gets cut or whatever, and then there'll be two men in a truck.
0: I guess they'll wait for his mover's license.
1: Exactly. So let's say the books have six openings to fill this summer if you're doing that through free agency who would your six guys be who would seem realistic in terms of fit and salary for the books
0: i would go one for reasons uh mentioned just now (laughs) uh two I think this is, two and three are kind of related. I would say either Moe Harkless or Solomon Hill. I think, I'll just wait on the reasons. Um, four, Jared Dudley. Five, I would go Noah, but that's, I but yeah. I'll, again, we'll go into that again. And six, Gerald Henderson.
1: I've got some names that overlap with Jordan and some that don't. Um, I would also go Matthew Davidova. I would also go with Solomon Hill and Moe Then I would... Look at Troy Daniels. I would look at Etwan Moore. And lastly, Dwayne Deadman. But they would be my six guys. Um, I feel like you could get all six of those guys tied down on decent deals, slightly longer term as well, and improve a colossal amount. And while keeping a nice age profile and everything, you have experienced guys in there who aren't necessarily like older veterans. They might want a little bit more age thrown into the mix, but they would be my six players to target. Pretty much 3 and D all around. Troy Daniels maybe doesn't have the defense. Dwayne Dedman doesn't have the three-point shooting but let's bundle them together and you've got one extra three and D body. Um,
0: <laughs> Dwayne Daniels.
1: That's it. I mean, just the thought of actually sort of morphing them into one person is terrifying. Um, but let's, yeah. let's get down to Okay, so we both agree on Delvadova. I don't feel we need to elaborate on that. He's probably the best point guard who is readily available, they can get in at a decent price, signed to a contract that will be movable, that they're not sort of locked in, overcommitted. It just doesn't seem like it will hurt the team in any way. Let's go. We'll go through the guys we agree with first. So Solomon Hill next. Why Solomon Hill? Um,
0: I think at worst... He is a a late – or late uh, – more of a rotation player um, at best. and I, I'm not saying at, at best. I think it's more of somewhere in between. But I think that he he could be a good stretch forward, combo forward type guy. He needs to improve his three-point shooting. He has a – I don't have the percentage offhand. But uh, – he improved, he was at least better in the playoffs, but again, that's, sample, you know, small sample size. But I think he just gives you a different option as a wing off the bench that, you know, you need some guys to play 20 to 25 minutes a night, even though the guy, the Bucks already have Giannis and Jabari uh, at the three or four spots, uh, you know, for the long term future as of now. They still need guys to play and, you know, provide solid minutes. And the fact that he's available, you know, the fact that the Pacers didn't extend or declined his rookie option, the most that they can give him this year is, I believe, $2.3 million. Uh, I could be wrong. I think that might be his qualifying offers. I think that's his qualifying offer. So he could be easily gettable. He might be one of the most easily gettable guys in free uh, free agency. It's just a matter of, what do you think his value is and even though he had a good playoff showing it's there's still more to be he still has to prove a lot more to i i would guess to earn a you know at least double digits
1: in a contract so yeah i think he could get close enough um remember he had a good finish to the playoffs I say particularly in the finals, he, or are not the finals, in the was was that the, was that the first round actually they were eliminated? It was, wasn't it? Pacers Raptors was yeah. first round. Um but he shot the ball really well in that series. I want to say, and I don't have it in front of me, but that he was about forty five percent from three. He did have that one, wasn't it him? 50, who had?
0: Sorry, fifty eight percent of eleven and
1: nineteen. Wow, okay. Didn't yeah. he also have the tree that was waved off that was like yep. a millisecond too late? That would have been the game winner. Um, the whole Easter conference playoffs might have looked different if that had stood, but I believe he can be consistent with that three point shot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's good, he's sort of low key, but still versatile. He'll Cover a lot of different needs within the team. He'll play solid defense, he'll rebound. I think the best way of putting it is he's just a sort of reliable rotation guy that the Bucks had none of last year. If you want if you want to say what were the Bucs lacking, it was guys like that. Most NBA rosters, you'll have two or three guys in that mold, good team or bad team. And the Bucs had pretty much none of them last year. So Salman Hill will be a really nice pickup. And if somehow you could get him on a cheapish deal or a longer deal, like I mean, saying he might get double digits, but if you could get in quick and get Solomon Hill on four years, 28 million, moving forward for you, that could be a real bargain. He may not agree to that, but. Where the cap will be four years from now and where you'd hope the books would be, if you had a guy like that and you're only paying him sort of 7 million range then, that could be a really important piece for building a rotation that might be a contender. And that's where the books have to think. If they can get some of these guys and tie them down now, that's where it gets fun down the line. If you can have nice contracts at that point where maybe you've room to even add another fun guy at that stage, It's it all depends, but they've got to think... Not only in the now, but two, three, four years down the line as well. Mo Harkless is the other guy. I think a lot of the same, a lot of the same stuff applies as in, as you said, Solomon Hill could play some three, could play some four. I would always have had Harkless as more of a two slash three, but this year he played the four quite a bit in Portland. And he did it in the playoffs against the Warriors and did quite well as well. Um in that sense, a guy who could. Be- Potentially, depending if you're going small, if you're going big, slot in anywhere from two to four. Can shoot the ball, can play good defense, is really long and um, to stay in keeping with Team all Lent. He is a ferocious dunker, just a really sort of fun all-around player. If he was coming in off the bench, You'd feel a lot better about like Yana's going to sit down, Middleton going to sit down. Once again, the type of guy the books didn't have. Um, I might be a little bit more reluctant in Solomon Hill's case if I could get Mo Harkless for seven years or for four years, twenty eight million. <laughs> I, I mean, I do that straight away. I d- I don't have a second thought about that. Maybe that's not a surprise to some of you are listening longer. You'll know. I have been on the Moe Harkless train for quite a while. He was the guy last year I kept saying, someone's going to get Mo Harkless. He's going to be the steal. Someone's going to get him for nothing. And that's how it played out. Teams are probably going to be more clued into that this year, but I try to get in early. With pretty much all of these guys, this is the key. And I've seen a few people say things like, look, the Bucs need to take their time, not get caught up in the whole... Madness early on, where it tends to be big name players. We've talked about this lots of times, and the team who did the best work last year were Portland Trailblazers. And what the Blazers did at the time, people were like, What? But that's a why are they why are they rushing around to sign Al Fru um on the first day? And at the time everyone was saying it was an expensive contract, but now it's like that's a great contract. But what they did when everyone else was sort of chasing around, going after the big guys, they got these low key deals done. And they read the rewards. That's gotta be the books this year. I wanna see the books busy on Friday, busy on Saturday, and hopefully have a few guys tied up. Where it's not like we're going, Oh wow, that guy's gonna change the team completely. They're a star. But all of a sudden you're like, Wow, that's that's three, four really solid guys. There's a shape to the roster then. Um that's the tree we agreed on. Do you wanna you go next? Go on, throw, throw a name out there and Give us your reasoning.
0: Um, I'll go with Dudley. Um, And again, this is nothing new here. Um, I said it before. I, th- I still think from the Bucks team two years ago, we talked about you know we talked about Zaza, we talked about Dudley making impact, uh, even Knight to a certain extent. Uh, but to me, the f- role that the Bucks have had trouble filling. Out of those three, in my opinion, the hardest role that they haven't filled uh, out of those three is Jared Dudley's. He's a great shooter, <laughs> you know, leader, smart player, all, everything, versatile. He, I don't know. It's it's tr- you know, kind of beating a dead horse, but I just think for what he brings to the table on or team on and off the court, it's you know. It's hard. I I think I said this before, but it's hard to see a player make such an impact like Dudley did in just one season. And the fact that he did is just – I don't know. It still kind of boggles my mind, <laughs> honestly, especially as a Bucks fan because, you know, the fact that if team, a player is only here for one year, you usually think, oh, yeah, I'm really flamed out. I mean, you know, look at how we're feeling about Greg Monroe right now. So – to me, Jared Dudley just makes so much sense to me. Um, you'll probably be paid a lot more than some other players. Or I, I think his value is going to be a lot more higher than we think. But who knows? Maybe he goes for more years than money. Um, but yeah, Jared Dudley.
1: I like the idea of Jared Dudley a lot. Um... I don't think anyone would have any complaints if Dudley was a book again. The only issue I'm seeing with it, I feel at this point, we mentioned like Harkless and Hill as two guys who could play the three and play the four. Because they're younger and a little bit more athletic, it's easier for them to play the three. And considering the books have just drafted Tom Maker, who is probably a four right now, um, there is a chance they bring back Johnny O'Brien's. I know in this scenario we said count out Steve Novak, but that's more for our own sanity. It seems like Steve <laughs> Novak will probably be signed at twelve oh one on Friday morning.
0: If <laughs> he is the first Steve signing. Steve Novak could signing. well
1: be the first signing of free agency. Oh, I genuinely would God. not be surprised with that. But if we take Maker, J O B, Steve Novak, and you've already obviously got your Barry as your starter. Dudley is really a four, and that's a tricky one. I would much rather their veteran four be Dudley than Novak. It just – I I would – I sort of – I want them to sign Novak as well because at this point I feel like it would be the worst move possible on their part to have, like, wheeled them out to the groundbreaking and every other books event possible, and then free agency to open, no one else to be calling, and then to be like, oh, well, thanks. thanks for those 12 minutes or less that you gave us, Steve. Oh, and we really appreciated all your public appearances. Happy retirement. I mean, I, I feel like that would be not so great. I, I do think you would be signed, though.
0: One could dream.
1: One can dream. I mean, we did lots of dreaming before books, uh, before draft night, and look where that got us. So, huh? it got us the biggest dream possible. That's really what happened there.
0: A dream team.
1: <laughs> uh, who will I go next? Etan Moore, another sort of low profile, low key guy who. He got good minutes in Orlando the season before last. Um, Managed to continue in that vein with the Bulls. Solid shooter. Not an elite defender, but sort of a solid defender. Good option at the two off the bench. Could probably play at the one in small doses. Isn't going to be a playmaker. Um, That's definitely a big area of weakness for him. But if the books did feel comfortable in running out lineups where the function of the one was really to guard point guards and to shoot three-pointers, he could potentially fit in with that sort of way of thinking. Just in terms of profile of guys who have those type of skills and are going to fit in the price range, could prove to be real bargains longer term. I mean, still got potential to grow and develop. He's someone I like quite a lot. You're next one, Jordan. Thanks. I was gonna say something but you can say something. I didn't think you had anything to say. You give me your Ethan more thoughts.
0: Uh, I do like him. Um I don't know. I, I yeah, I don't have anything to say now. I, I <laughs> have thought that yeah. No. That that didn't work out. <laughs>
1: This is what you're. Uh, this is what you're here for, people. This is why you listen every week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go.
0: I'll go with that. Noah. We kind of already talked about him. Well, we did talk about him. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway, in my mind, is if you want a hard worker, you know, sets a tone, especially defensively. We. You know, now that the season is over and we're on to the offseason, that has been a big thing with, with definitely Jason kid and John Hammond has spoke about it too. Um, I still think Noah defensively, I think there's still a lot that he could offer. Um, definitely not defensive player of the year type guy, but could he fulfill a role like Zaza and maybe a little bit better from a couple years ago? Definitely. Um, The money does scare me, but outside of prim- the you know premier free agents that are going to be available, uh, I think any money associated with anybody being a free agent is going to be a little concerning, just because we aren't used to the capitalizing this high. I mean, we were freaking. I remember talking about this last year with Milton's contract. I was kind of blown away by the money. That he was offered and now we're saying you know this is one of the best contracts
1: in the league same as Um, as i mentioned a couple of seconds ago alfaruk aminu everyone was like whoa that's an overpay and everyone's like what a bargain we'd love that contract yep Yep. crazy it's it's 12 months (laughs)
0: it's i don't know that's the price of doing business this offseason.
1: and the the cap is going to be what's it 94 million is now their production for this year we
0: have 25 more than last year, right?
1: Yeah, that sounds right. And then next year, their current projection is 108 million. And, and, if it's like <laughs> and that could year, easily it, rise if too. If it's like it's this year, year, it's going to rise again. So next year, yeah. it could be another 16 million. So you'll have that same sort of scenario where if that jumps to, say, 110 million contracts this year that you're like, I mean, that's pushing a little bit. All of a sudden, they look good. Mm-hmm. And that cycle will eventually break, but it's not showing signs of breaking just yet.
0: No, not at all. No, oh. in,
1: in terms of the Zaza, I hadn't thought of that, which I'm ashamed of. But you're right, he will do all of those things that Zaza did perfectly for the books and do them a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And a brief side note to that. Are you a little bit reassured by the fact that our rumors so far are Delvadova and Noah? Because I yes. am, we I don't know if this was on the podcast or just after we finished. I think it was after we finished last week. And I said to you, I wasn't scared. This is funny now. I said, I wasn't scared about the draft. What really worried me was I have no idea of what type of guy they'll go for a free agency. And these are just rumors. They could turn out to be completely false and the books could pick completely different guys. But... If they are, in fact, thinking along the lines of a point guard like Delvadova, center like Noah, I feel so reassured. It's unbelievable. I feel like the books might be making logical decisions this offseason, not to tempt fate, um, but that it just it makes sense to me. It's the sort of things that we've talked about, and we're not talking about them because we are some sort of geniuses we generally talk with the things that are (laughs) so obvious that even we can see them. (laughs) And that is the books need sort of pretty just basic point guard who can shoot, defend, pass a little bit. doesn't have to be special. They need a center who will set screens, who will defend the rim. Maybe act as a sort of an anchor in the middle of the floor, vocal presence. If we can see that, you'd hope the books can see it. So for me, I'd be reassured. You feel that way too.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and I know – I guess we'll have to touch on this just because we're going through free agency. I know there have been reports about Dwight. But to me, from what I've read, it seems like the same rumblings from before, which they were real. They are definitely real things. But I think a lot has changed since then. And I really, I, again, I'm a bucks fan, so <laughs> anything is possible. I could see, I could be totally wrong about this. But I think there is a, I'm hoping, maybe it's more of a hope than anything. But I think the names that we've seen, I think they're not leaning towards you know, going after a guy that possibly could get like super max money. Not that he could, but I, I don't know. I, I think they have learned or moved on from that. Uh, like, I,
1: mean. I think with Dwight, and we've talked about this before, without going into, like, getting bogged down in detail of this game, much like we talked about Noah earlier, if they were to pay him pretty serious money for, like, a couple of years, it's not the end of the world. And I think we'd all sort of, okay, that could, that could turn out to be something really good. Mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't, if it goes the way that most people would imagine it would, worst-case scenario, gone in a couple of years... It's not going to tear everything down, you'd hope. It gets so much tougher for them to sign guys longer term and think that way, like, on that sort of crazy money. If they try that, that's the concern. But, yeah, you're right. It seems like they've moved away from that, and with the White and with o- there's probably still ways where if they sign them, we'd go, you know, that's okay. That's fine. It's just whether... I'd be more impressed if they managed to convince a Dwight or convince a Noah to take less years on decent money. And, like, I mean, I don't know how many Waynes brothers they'd have to bring out to sell those guys <laughs> on, on Milwaukee on less years, years more than anything, at the point in their career. But if they can do that this year, I mean, I think mean Bill, Bill Clinton might have to come out for... I'm not sure Bill Clinton would win the white over, but... We'd have to take it up a notch. Yeah. I don't know what other yeah. friends the ownership have, but they'd they'd have to move up into that presidential category they have rather than that Wayne's brothers category. If they were,
0: if they want to you know bring in a local flavor, they could always bring in like Pat McCurdy. This that that's a reference that is gonna go all over your head, but I hope someone someone really enjoys that one. That was a joke, by the way. Uh, uh but yeah. I think early rumblings have kind of uh, alleviated my concerns. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, if they want to scare away free agents, Pat McCurdy looks like the guy to do it. <laughs> um, let's see. My, I'll, I'll go at my center. Spoken about him before, I wrote about him not too long ago. It is Dwayne deadman He is the kind of guy where you're still giving yourself some potential. He's a little bit older, um, older than most people would probably realize. I want to say he's 27. Um, a guy he has relentless energy, really high motor. He would run the floor. He would be the rim runner. The books would would be hoping to find this summer. He would also be the rim protector. Really good defender at the rim. Uh, Decent mobility for his size. Not the most mobile, but solid mobility. I like him as... I guess Biombo was the yardstick for this out of last year's free agent class. But if you're looking for the next Biombo, I think he is the closest you're going to get to that this year without everybody already looking at them. I think the obvious guys for that is, oh, I wonder what we can get Festus Azizi for. He's had a bad playoffs. I wonder, has everyone noticed how good Yamahimi's season was? But if we're being real and you want to find the guy who's the equivalent of what Biombo was last year, I think it's Dwayne Dedman. If the books could sign him and sign him for years, they might have found... Their ideal starting center, and at the very worst, and probably more realistically, they've got a perfect backup center who would sort of seamlessly fit in in different lineups for the next few years. Your next guy, I think we should only be on one one left. Yeah, oh god, I just remembered who your one left is.
0: Say the if, best for last is if our say, lists
1: haven't depressed you enough yet. Here's Jordan Press.
0: Gerald Henderson, the second or the or two. Actually, he's a junior. Um,
1: Gerald Henderson, whose who's first name is Jordan Jerome. I'm not looking at, but that is what I remember it as as well. So, yes the second jerome henderson to go by gerald henderson
0: by the way sorry for the sidetrack is jerome is gerald is that no, are they're, they related they're completely
1: names? different names the only, think... the only thing they have in common is obviously the sound the Jer sound yeah but they're even spelled differently. There's, there's no it's relationship.
0: How did, the, how did Gerald or Jerome, the, the original, go from Jerome to Gerald? I, I, right. I don't know
1: why his son found, felt the need to, to follow that. I, I really, the, the whole naming process in the Henderson family pretty baffling. they also both have the middle name mckinley mckinley i mean presidential yeah i was about to ask i don't know enough about president mckinley other than i know there was a president mckinley yeah
0: that's that's
1: that's what he's known for okay um
0: he has a lot of there are a lot of streets named after him as well because he was a president
1: oh that happens (laughs) so what what differentiates gerald henderson from a street
0: well, he's a basketball player, so he's not
1: a... Oh, well, Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd will like that.
0: Yeah, the jersey could fit.
1: Uh, couldn't put a jersey on like... the street. Well, you could, but you couldn't wear the jersey.
0: <laughs> That's true. You couldn't wrap the street... Well, maybe No, you actually... You could. But
1: Big jersey. That, that, would rip,
0: that would rip
1: the jersey, probably. Uh,
0: yeah, but seriously, I know this is a very bar <laughs> set very low... <laughs> including Gerald Henderson on this list, but a common theme with the Bucks, our our opinion on the Bucks this past year, you need to bolster your bench and from even though the the Bucks have Vaughn Milton and now Brogdon uh, at shooting guard small forward, you have Giannis, possibly Damian Inglis, and that's un, you know, unknown at this point. I think Gerald Henderson is a good versatile player for them. Um, I think he could easily play. His role would be very similar to Portland's role, or his role in Portland, I should say. Um, I, I mean, at 20 minutes per game.
1: He can't really shoot, don't... though, Jordan. I mean, this is his yeah, thing being able to shoot. And... I just have real troubles with this.
0: That is yes, that is the one aspect of his game. He also doesn't is. have
1: I feel like he doesn't have hair or eyebrows, but he has a beard and that makes me feel uncomfortable.
0: Ha, well first of all, he does have eyebrows.
1: I'm not sure. It's maybe it's just that he's so bald up on top he's that he's not you can't notice the eyebrows, but it's
0: not a Whoopi Goldberg situation. He has eyebrows. You know these are very faint eyebrows. They are
1: very faint.
0: <laughs> faint eyebrow. Hashtag faint eyebrows. Uh, there we go.
1: Um. I mean, there's a picture of him here. Oh, actually, no, never mind. This is it all. The picture was actually his father, but they look so alike. Yeah. Um, they both look equally old. That I I went for a second. Why wow, there's a picture of him here with this receding hairline already any eyebrows but no I mean you're I I really think you're scraping the bottom of the barrel before you have to
0: I I that is holy that's probably the case honestly and I send me all your flag for including jerome Edison on this list but I think he could easily fill a nice rotation he could be a nice rotation player for the Bucks and be pretty cheap, too, if you give him long enough years.
1: The reality is that Gerald Henderson would probably be better as a rotation player than the guy I'm going to say now. But I like fun, so I'm going to include this player instead of Gerald Henderson, and that's Troy Daniels, Um, one of the very best shooters in the league. I mean, if you're not named Steph Curry or J.J. Redick – Take them out of conversation. Troy Daniels is probably the best shooter in the league. Um, An absolute dead eye who has been able to shoot consistently, which is very impressive considering he's basically been bounced from team to team since he entered the league. So, with all sorts of rosters, with all sorts of types of teammates around him, he still made shots. And that's important because Jordan might remember anyone who reads us sort of pretty religiously on the site might remember when the book signed Chris Copeland last year and lots of people were quick to talk about, well, look how he shot the ball in New York. I wrote a piece on his shooting basically throughout his career. And the common theme was on teams that were packed with shooters to the point where no one is ever going to go, let's guard Chris Copeland, because they're so busy guarding everyone else. Cope shot the ball really well. And if you gave him a team where the other four guys nearly, or at least the other three, weren't lights-out shooters, Chris Copeland was a complete waste of space and oxygen. So, Troy Daniels being able to play in all sorts of teams, good teams, bad teams, different styles... That is very encouraging to me, particularly when we're looking for someone who not only can shoot but will be able to shoot when they're surrounded by books players uh, because that's a challenge in itself. <laughs> so that appeals to me. Um, not a great defender, but look, maybe you can work on that. He's never been given a chance to have regular sort of significant minutes, reliable minutes that he can bank on sort of even 10 minutes a night. And with that sort of playing time, with the right guidance and giving him that confidence, there's nothing about his character, which makes you say he couldn't at least apply a ton of effort defensively and become passable there. So I would vote for bringing in one of the best three-point shooters in the league with my last pick. Jordan Tresky suggests we bring in hashtag faint eyebrows. <laughs> Before we move to the mailbag, I want to briefly talk about Michael Carter-Williams, as if we haven't discussed enough divisive point guard figures already in this podcast. Um, there have been some interesting things said about Michael Carter-Williams from key books, figures in recent days. I don't think you were watching live at the time, but I while it was happening, oh, yeah. while I was watching, I started to message you because I was so alarmed um, in Jason Kidd's press conference for his extension which was on Thursday before the NBA draft unprompted he kept finding the need to say Michael Carter Williams name basically um,
0: it's like a bloody Mary type situation where you say the
1: mirror and then he shall appear <laughs> a little bit like that um i would be lying if i didn't say it was disconcerting and i i quite like michael Carter Williams i've been i guess as long as i could on the train of giving him chances and seeing what can happen but into it or talking about him i wasn't just kid it was hammond days later when he was on bleacher report radio or whatever it's sort of strange it goes beyond the point even where you'd feel like they were trying to pump up his trade value to give you just a couple of glimpses of some of the quotes and from kids press conference he was asked about what they were going to focus on when they got back to training camp new seasons were on what's the focus going to be um He makes a point. He doesn't want guys to be sort of up or down depending on how they're shooting that day. He said, we could talk about three-point shooting, but that's going to take care of itself. You look at Giannis, you look at Jabari, they're going to shoot more trees and they're going to make more trees. Michael's going to shoot more trees. He's going to make more trees. That's debatable in itself, but we'll move on. But we're not going to talk about offense. We're going to talk about defense. That's where we're going to hang our hat, and it starts with Michael. We feel that he's one of the best defensive guards in the league, and he sets the tone for us. Having Michael out there in front leading the group, we have to get back to that, and we just didn't do that well last year as a team. That was sort of out of the blue and strange. Then, as I mentioned, Hammond went on Bleacher Report Radio, and he mentioned mcw he said we're going to need him moving forward he has the potential to be a top 10 player at his position what are your thoughts on this i mean i don't i don't think they've done like a complete turnaround and they're buying into the hype that they felt when they made the trade but there's clearly some form of agenda for this I don't believe it's pumping up trade value. I think this is too – laying that on too thick Um, and considering the way Brandon Knight left, I'm not sure it would be a good look for them to do all of this, talking about how important he is, and then just trade him away in a couple of days. Is this designed to boost his confidence maybe? They might have recognized they didn't do a good job of that last year. Um, the whole benching him, not telling him why, things like that didn't necessarily play into having him sort of at peak confidence. Is this the start of, okay, we want him to work hard this summer, see if he can get better in these areas. Let's build him up and see what happens from there.
0: I would say yes. I don't think it's pumping up the trade value or anything like that. You know, we've seen that with Knight. Um can you really think of any other example of the Bucks doing that I don't really nothing really comes to mind
1: yeah like I think with the night one they were genuinely that high on Michael Carter Williams and what they felt he could do and how he could fit with the team I don't feel like that was insincere with night even it was just like they got presented with this offer which, since then, maybe it's been proven wrong, but at the time they felt they couldn't turn it down.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of this boosted his confidence. Uh, we've, you know, even, was it exit interviews? It might have been exit interviews.
1: Well, I've got, I've got here, the, I've got a quote from Michael Carter Williams from exit interviews. He wasn't necessarily talked about a whole lot, um, by Hammond or Kidd, because this was very soon after, obviously, I want to say it was maybe two to three weeks out from the end of the season. It was probably a little less that kid said, Look, we're going to be moving forward with Point Yanis next year. So, Point Yanis was the talk of exit interviews. And when sort of coexisting with Point Yanis was put to MCW, he quite famously didn't react very well. This was something strange that gathered a lot of momentum. Um, from sort of sites that wouldn't normally cover the books in sort of a, a big NBA way. And his quote from exit interviews was, I think this Giannis playing point guard next year got a little out of hand. I think he's definitely going to control the ball a lot more. But as far as he's not going to guard a point guard, I'll be guarding the point guard. I think we're just going to be playing through Giannis a lot more. I watch Draymond Green. He handles the ball a lot and gets a lot of assists. And I wouldn't say he's a point guard, or LeBron, or someone like that. So I think the whole "What am I going to do now?" because Giannis is the point guard is a little out of proportion.
0: Yes, that that was the exact quote I was going to bring up. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I think it is boosting his confidence. Uh, You know, after this season and the kind of you know he's entering a contract year. Um they definitely want to restore value in the sense that he, that he think that they think he's a starter. Um whether I agree with that, not certain. Probably some crazy change this offseason. Um I still think he has a very valuable role on this team uh next season. Um I I we talked about this a lot with FCW. I think he's can easily fill a very Sean Livingston type role coming off the bench. Um, but the big thing with him, and it just so happens that it's the big thing with the Bucks in general, he needs a lot of shooting around him. Um, and that's maybe why his struggles have been exaggerated in that sense, because he was, you know, being played by what, one, deep shooter with Middleton mostly. Um, and you know, this this season was probably the worst to judge, or not worst to judge, but because of the, the teams or depending on shooters or players that you thought were gonna be shooters and having terrible shooting seasons like Grievous Vasquez, OJ Mayo, you know, Barry had a great season, but outside of him and Middleton, Buck's midpoint shooting obviously was pretty abysmal. And that made matters worse for Mike Carter Williams. A lot of the season, there obviously were high points in the season. You know, December comes to mind when he was trying to, you know, deal with coming off the bench and then being sort of the starting lineup once Kid left. And, and there was a good period of play for him. Um, I I don't know. I, I they are alar- you know, not alarming comments, but it is kind of out of the blue that they, you know these would come out. But again, I still think he has a very valuable role in this team. Um, it may not be to the extent of what he was dealt for at the time, but we have to, at this point, we have to move on. He just needs to find his way again, kind of, you know, Dean himself, make sure he is the defensive player that a lot of people build them out to be and all that stuff. And I think that that alone will just help him a lot. Uh, the shooting, I don't think, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't think it's too promising that he'll ever be a very good three-foot shooter or even a good three-foot shooter. I think at best he's, he could be a passable one, but that's about it. He just needs to find his niche um, within the team. And if, he, if it doesn't, then it's probably his last season with the Bucks.
1: If these comments are sincere and if they, like you say, feel he has a real role with the team, this hasn't been spoken about at all. I think it's because books fans just haven't imagined it happening. It doesn't mean it's out of play. Could they extend Michael Carter-Williams this summer? He's also up for early extension like Giannis. I know we all think of, like, max extensions and that's when people go for it, but... They extended Henson to a pretty sizable contract that wasn't a max deal as soon as they could. If this is real, let's pretend it is for a minute. Let's assume it is. We have to take it at face value. Could they actually do that? I mean, from all the talk
0: of extensions, I mean, they're talking about extending John Hammond. I mean, extensions are on the mind.
1: I mean, <laughs> on that one... <laughs> Hammond has been so front and center and so like effusive about that decision to draft Tom maker. He's he has never seemed like more the guy for the books in Jason Kidd's whole time in Milwaukee than he has this week. And ironically, he's the guy with the shortest contract now. And I've never felt more like convinced that he was making the decision as I did this week. So that's a weird one in itself. But to go back to MCW, let's, I guess where this gets tricky is the books might like to try and extend them this summer, but I don't think they're gonna meet any valuation of him that he would feel is the right valuation. And there's probably no better way to disgruntle him than to go, hey, let's let's talk about a new contract. And he's like, Okay, this is great. And then you sit down, and you're like, How do you feel about four years 24 million? <laughs> And he says, "Uh, no, you may not be the long
0: term starter, but you'll be on this team. Uh, Yeah, that that doesn't seem
1: like that. But then the other if this has an agenda and there's a game to this, maybe they do want him around regardless of whether he's the bench guy or the starter. And maybe these comments are the start of sort of a softening process to get to a point where maybe they could have extension talks this summer. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean. It, I, I I think... Just with the way the season went, no one thinks about this. But he's eligible in the books. I mean, there was no pressing need to sign Henson when they did. They didn't have to tie Henson up early. Really, did they? Do you feel they did? I know we like Henson. Both of was like Henson. But they didn't have to do that. It wasn't. Essential, particularly if they knew they weren't going to play him. Um,
0: I don't know, actually. I mean,
1: I think he'd be more in demand than MCW is now. I don't doubt that. But
0: if they really were set on retaining Hanson, they would have to pay a lot of money to do so this year. I mean, look at the guys that we're talking about. Even Festus Zili. I mean, we John Hanson did not have a good season this year, but from what we saw, Festus Zili for uh, maybe not early in the season, but the latter half, including the playoffs, that uh, – and the money that he may be getting. John Hansen would probably get it, be getting at least $50
1: million a, season, a year. I mean, he's getting $44 million anyway, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I One thing I will say, though, about a possible RCW exception, I, I'm not – to, you know saying just because this happened before that means this won't happen but i'm saying in the last two the last few point guards the bucks had before mcw Brad jennings and brand night both were eligible for rookie extensions and both did not happen um i would say the Jennings jennings one made more sense because of all the I mean, it was either choosing between him or my, my Ellis and you know, both of them did not have the best, uh, I guess, history of proving that this could be a better contract uh, in the future. But at night, at the time, it made everyone thinking like, oh, they weren't that far apart, you know, <laughs> they could easily get this done uh, in the offseason and obviously you got traded. I think I would be shocked if they do it. But I think if you see what they have done with the last two, uh, specifically John Hammond, I should say, the last two point guards the Bucks have had, I think that in itself just says, yeah, Mike Carr Williams still has a lot to prove. And even though my, you can get him at a cheaper price right now, if you really view him as a long-term starter, I think that – Seeing Knight and Jennings not getting extended, I think that kind of gives hope for the Bucks fans that don't want to see that happen at all.
1: And see, the tricky part of it is, even if the Bucks felt they could get him for a cheaper price now, and even if MCW agreed with that, he's probably going to back himself to up his price this year and get a better deal next year. Mm-hmm. I I don't I don't think it should happen. I'm not convinced it will happen. I just it occurred to me basically i was trying to figure out what are the reasons there's like there, there's a there's a clear agenda somewhere and i wanted to figure out what it was and when i, I wrote a piece on this and a lot of responses i was getting on twitter were, well what else like of course they're praising him. what else are they going to do and my whole point was no it's not that because in the past they've just said nothing the books aren't that team they don't just say everyone's great it's Really noticeable when guys' names just disappear from conversation. Uh, Greg Monroe, at present, I want to say Jason Kidd mentioned Moose once, um, in in that same press conference. And when you consider the amount of times that Michael Carter Williams got mentioned, that was something really sort of striking. I don't want to read too much into that because it says so much that they have these flavors of the month where a guy's name can disappear completely and then it comes back. But that's not just a coincidence. You don't like forget a player in press conference after press conference for weeks and months (laughs) on end. You know what I mean? It's not like you're just always forgetting that one guy. And that was MCW before. So for sort of core discussions to come back in his name to be there is interesting. There's always a purpose. It's like, it's like this time last year when John Henson's name was. We have a core, and it was who we considered the core, and his name was there, and we all sort of went, huh, really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, you know, there's always some reason, and this is just me trying to figure it out. Uh, I sort of wonder particularly if they like, say, Delvadova and they manage to tie him down, and they go, okay. Regardless if we could get mcw2 we've got our two point guards and one way or another one's the starter one's the backup and if they both figure it out whichever way we go with that it's all good for us and that was just a thought that entered my head i think getting a deal done is a different challenge but there's some agenda there and i'm not quite sure what it is yet so Let's keep our eyes peeled on that one. Uh, Apologies to David Dunn if you're listening this week for that entire segment. (laughs) You're probably not listening anymore if you were.
0: (laughs) He's throwing his iPad into the abyss.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Mailbag time. First one from OCBignose12. Coolest jerseys for an NBA team ever. Vancouver, Seattle, 90s raps, 90s books, or Charlotte?
0: Ooh, I like how you threw in Vancouver, because I do like theirs. Um, hmm. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know, I'm always partial to nineties bucks just because that's the era I grew up. Um, I just like the purple the purple era.
1: Um I mean that the uh, purple and green. You know the one, the one like that you'll still see like Ray Allen throwbacks of Oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's a classic. Yeah. I wish the books would have a hardwood Classics night for that jersey. I want to say they did a couple of years ago, didn't they? Yes. <laughs> you can find, I want to say... I remember you know, Giannis wearing that jersey.
0: No, 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 no. It was the year before Giannis.
1: Really, was it?
0: Yes. Uh, when they announced that, I was happy. Ursa was one of the players that was wearing the jerseys, and it just looked like, what is going on? <laughs> it looked strange to see or a uh, vaguely Barney the Dinosaur
1: type jersey. I want to say as well for books jerseys, the, the green and red went horrible at the end when it got to a darker green. But I mean, the classic sort of late 70s, 80s mm-hmm. books, green and red. Obviously, the, and then the rainbow panel on the side of those jerseys, which they've sort of brought back a little bit they were really really nice jerseys yeah
0: i like the green ones too like the later yeah, iteration the,
1: with like the lime green panel on the side
0: yeah, yeah. they've they kind of like it's not that they haven't like erased that from memory but they have really gone out of their way to not put that in the jersey history where I, it belongs
1: a lot a lot of my favorite mock-ups before the rebrand drew their inspiration from that sort of iteration of books jerseys and i I love the direction they went but i really do like all of that style i think there's something that as retro as they look they would also be incredibly modern now there was an opportunity for them to go that way and all of my favorite mock-ups at the time were sort of following that tradition so you're right they sort of Maybe they've got a slight nod to it with the with the panels on the current jerseys, but they did their best to step back, move away a little bit. Yeah, uh, mm. other, other jerseys. I I think the Seattle Supersonics jerseys are pretty classic.
0: The red one. I'm assuming not the red ones.
1: The home ones, green, yellow.
0: Yeah,
1: there we go. Yeah. I've I've always been a fan of those jerseys um sort of similar to that that book's throwback that we talked about to begin with the hawks have what's basically a black version and it has like a hawk in the same position the books have and sort of red. it was like the matumbo era jersey yeah Um, they had all those sort of guys late 90s and they brought that back for hardwood classics nights a few times um Actually, I want to say not not this season, but the season before they did. Um, Teague and Corver, Millsap, Horford, were all wearing them. That that's a real favorite of mine. That's as a Hawks fan, I think that's my favorite Hawks jersey of all time. Um, what else? I want to get the New Jersey Swamp Dragons serve a special shadow. <laughs> The great what could have been of jerseys.
0: <laughs> that story is enough. Um i forget. I know I'm forgetting a couple. I do like the wraps.
1: Oh the uh, I, yeah, I should mention that. I actually I own one of those nineties oh, yeah. yeah. wraps jerseys. Al
0: I'm assuming it's an Alvin Williams jersey.
1: No, I I I think I really wanted to get a Tracy McGrady jersey, and I put it to a Twitter vote. And, oh yeah,
0: that's yeah.
1: And Twitter Twitter just picked Vince Carter for me, so I went Vince Carter. I mean, it's you don't really lose in that scenario, but I think my preference was probably slightly Tracy McGrady, but it's it's a nice jersey. It's hard to be disappointed in it. We'll move on. Next question from a pencil two two nine two. Princey Bay seems like a solid Summer League pickup. Would you have approved if we drafted him at 38? I feel like we're talking to the right person here, or maybe the wrong person, but I know you would have approved that, Jordan.
0: Yeah. You're 100% correct. Yes, yes, I would. Um, yeah, that was, I was very happy to see that, that uh, he's part of the Summer League. That doesn't mean... He'll be signed by the Bucks, but gives him a close look at what he could do. Um,
1: Do you feel this year that a really good summer league from someone gets them signed just nearly out of fear of missing on a Sean Kilpatrick again?
0: I I think again I think it's a lot about hope that happens, but. I do. I mean, the fact that we heard about Ronald Roberts, was that a month ago maybe, three weeks ago?
1: Yeah, and about two and a half weeks, three weeks, yeah. I mean, now
0: we're starting to hear some of the guys, obviously after the draft, you know, that after the draft they signed several league deals or something like that. And guys that, you know, with seasons, I believe every season's over, even internationally. Now we're starting to see that news come in. But when the Ronald Roberts news came in, no one was talking about anybody signing a summer league, so it, that just stood out in some way that you could tell that they're trying to find somebody. Yeah,
1: they were. They were so eager to bring him in. Exactly,
0: and you know, of course, they want to win the championship. Like I predict, <laughs> they will. Uh, <laughs> but I get, yeah. I mean, last year was the first. They had the firsthand experience of there's a guy that. You know, really tore it up even though I don't think but I think the Bucks lost every game that they played maybe.
1: I, I think they know. might have won one they might have won one of their three, oh, yes. one of their three games sort of like and then, games and then they lost their first knockout game then you go into like the losers bracket and they lost <laughs> that as well uh, <laughs> yeah. if my memory serves me correctly
0: there was a lot of losing last year the summer league was just the appetizer to
1: It the- was really setting the tone. We didn't know it- <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Um But yeah, I think I think they look I would hope they look at that situation and say, look at the guy that just from that, you know, carved out he didn't maybe you know get into the league right away, but he secured a multi year deal with the Nets that a team that needs to find players like that. So I I hope so. I really hope so.
1: One thing I'm waiting to hear and I, I'm I feel confident I know who it is, but who's gonna coach the team? I'm guessing it will be Sean Sweeney again, like last year. But at the same time, I mean if we're really Give serious about the championship banner. Give us a old break. Oh,
0: you're gonna go to Bronte. No,
1: there's only one man for the job, Joe Bronte. <laughs> I mean, he's the lead assistant. That's fairly common practice with a lot of teams with this. The, you will occasionally use it for younger guys like Sweeney, give him some experience. I sort of would like to see a Prunty Books team again. What a, what, what a beautiful sort of those week, are, week in July we'll have if they give Joe Prunty the Summer League Books.
0: Those are a good few weeks. <laughs> I loved it.
1: I, I feel like there's no chance of it happening. I think it will be Sweeney, but I, I would really... Sweeney's great. That's different in its own way. You get to look at his... Like, his, his intense face leading everything rather than sort of lurking menacingly in the background. But uh, I'll prompt to Apply
0: lip balm, lip balm to his lips behind Jesus a kid. And just like, why is he sitting with on the bench with him?
1: The next one from at Metastic. This question fills a weekly quota we seem to have. I think he fills it most weeks, and that might explain it. Are the books simply assembling monster-like bodies to put stolen (laughs) talent in with this limb-filled roster? Hashtag Space Jam. Limb-filled might be the most terrifying description of anything I've ever heard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's (laughs) very...
1: Uh, the books aren't just stockpiling limbs. They're, <laughs> they're like attached to <laughs> live, people. live bodies. Yeah. Live, live bodies of NBA players who can wear jerseys. And play
0: basketball.
1: Limbs alone cannot wear jerseys. I th- um, you were thinking on your answer there. Are they yeah. assembling monster-like bodies to put stolen talent into?
0: Maybe. I don't know.
1: I mean, I think there's probably some players they could do with stealing some talents to put into their bodies, but that's another another issue entirely. <laughs> Next one, once again, from Metastic With the ton pick, should the expectations be lowered for the year since the plan seems... He has a typo here, so I'm not sure what this is. But we'll say directed for the future i i think it's a no on this and this goes back to sort of what i started out near at the beginning of the podcast i don't i don't think the book's expectations were going to shift based on any player they drafted at 10. i see we still we're we're not going to say if the book's if the books don't improve this year, no one's going to let them off the hook because they picked Tom Maker at 10. Everyone's going to go, you've got Giannis, you've got Jabari, you've got Chris Middleton and you're eight games below 500. What the hell? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't buy them any more time. Progress is expected. Maybe that makes it harder for them because they have to live up to those expectations with a guy who might not be able to help straight away. But, I don't think we can lower expectations because of it. Um, I think I have two answers. And
0: maybe this is not the one of them is not the answer that you Maybe the other one is. I don't know. I think at individual level, like Adam said, I think <laughs> if thought maker is a reason why the Bucks don't make it to the playoffs, I think that was, would be crazy. I think that's. Just I don't know that just seems odd to me. Um, I think expectations for him need to be lowered. Just for him, because, definitely, yeah, yes. Um, I I I mean, like we as we sat on the draft reaction pod, um, we don't really know any any or even on this podcast too. Talking about Thon Maker as a basketball player at this point is just it's you know rambling we don't know it's just speculation um he needs to we need to see something you know development all that stuff it's a lot the next two years three years are about development for him um and if that correlates and winning some games not a lot of games for you know in some cases i guess it's you know that's fine but a lot of it will depend on what they do for agency um and the, what we've heard so far is positive but it's not they still have a lot of work to do in order in my mind to maybe raise expectations
1: yeah they, they won't have filled the gaps in the roster appropriately if we're ruining the decision to select a guy who wasn't ready to help this year and them not having the season he hopes for mm-hmm. so, so. It, it shouldn't really factor in The next one from At4BallUSA. USA, is the all-time best player from the Milwaukee Bucks? Darvin Ham. I'm going to counter Jordan's very insightful Darvin Ham argument. And I'm going to go with one, Lou Alcindor. Slash cream Duljabar.
0: hold the (sighs) Alcindor.
1: The next one from at statsy for life. What are your realistic expectations of the team in general and expectations of at least the starters? This is this is probably a question that gets immeasurably easier to answer by the time we do next week's podcast when we'll have a flavor of at least if not guys they've signed what they're trying to do in free agency or maybe guys they've missed already in free agency at that point they've got they've got to push themselves towards the playoff picture Whether they make it or not is whatever, but they they can't be like eight games out where it's not even a real factor. They've got to put themselves in the spot they were in last year, where even if it's like for... It just ends up being an eight seed or they finish ninth, whatever it is, they've got to be in contention with like 10 games to go where it's a real thing we're looking at going, okay, we need to win this game, this game, and this game. They need that sort of experience again of having pressure games having to win them it's not the end of the world like if, if you look at the jazz in the west even the jazz missed out and came ninth and that's a disappointment obviously with their talent during the tougher conference but still they were there's sort of a value in their season still because they were right to the final game they were in position where they had to perform like that's technically not the playoffs but that's playoff level pressure if not even greater than what you'll get like in a game one of the playoffs Mm -hmm. so i'd say at the very least the books have to push themselves back into the general playoff picture
0: yeah yeah definitely um i think yeah and you put it best that this you know before free agency starts it's going to be tough to kind of see what kind of expectations or, you know, try to predict of what to expect from them last or next season, um, especially with two positions that you don't really know who's going to be the starter. Is it going to be Greg Monroe? Is it going to be someone outside of the team that they sign? Uh, point guard, is it going to be Mike Carvalho? Williams. going be Delvadova. I don't know. It, expectations are, my expectations are a little lower right now, but that could change depending on what they do this off season.
1: Like this time next week, if Matthew Davydova is a book, Jordan will be just—he'll just scream fifty wins for the best part of three hours. I'll
0: be—I'll be wearing a Hawaiian a shirt.
1: shirt with a corona in his hand. <laughs> the next question from a check- I mean,
0: Before before I'm sorry before you go further, I want to I want to make a petition that. Matthew, well, Matthew Delvadova uh, doesn't have to wear a jersey. He has to wear a Hawaiian shirt while he plays basketball. That is what I'm going to see because I think they'll be hilarious.
1: If he gets injured, like, you know, when you see the guys and they're in street clothes, they're in like their their <laughs> finest suit. they're OJ Mayo. I remember Juice wearing a really – oversized, feminine-looking t-shirt at one point last year. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, Grievous Grievous Vasquez was wasn't Grievous Vasquez a pretty snappy dresser on the bench towards the end of the season? Yeah,
0: yeah, he was a,
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) But in that case, (laughs) if Delhi was injured, I mean, he should just rock up with the wine shirts and the accompanying corona. Um, next one from a Shaq be snacking. Would Ton fit well next to Monroe? Not saying they should keep Monroe, but it would be a nice bench combo. I hadn't actually thought of this, but if, if let's say maker was a little bit further down the road than we thought, and he could play a little bit of defense, maybe it that is an interesting idea. As in, you're countering some of his weaknesses. If Maker could protect the rim with his size, he could stretch the floor a little bit. If you're looking for ways in the second unit where two bigs, with one of them being Monroe, could work. I think if Tom Maker had something that he could contribute straight away, well, then that might be an option. Might be a stretch, but I think that, that's an interesting idea.
0: Yeah, especially not just defensively, but if his, if he is the shooter that they're really touting him to be, um, I think offensively, that could be something. That is interesting, though.
1: Uh, Shaq B. snacking again. Remind me again why we don't want the books to try trading Monroe for Holiday. I feel like Holiday's game is perfect for the books. If Drew was guaranteed to be healthy, does it make cons- does it make sense considering his defense, shooting, size, and ability to create? I feel like you've answered this for yourself, Shackby snack When you had to say if Drew was guaranteed to be healthy, <laughs> because that isn't a guarantee. We can't really sort of do that. Um, there's other things too, though. I don't, I don't feel like his I don't feel like his defense is that good. Nor yeah, now he's shooting. Have... I mean, he he can do all of those things, but he's not great at any one or all of them.
0: Yeah, I think defensively that might have waned, especially with his injuries. Um. I still like him, but the injury risk... And I think too, if you make any deal with him, I think you're going to have to take a bad salary with him. And I don't want any part of Omar Ashik or even a Jinsen at this point because that just doesn't make sense to me in my eyes to bring me back uh, you know, a, a big man of theirs. Um,
1: I'll, give, I'll give a better reason now though at this point why you have no interest in that deal. Well, that's because this is the final year in his contract. Oh, yeah. So he's he's only he's 11.2 million this year, which, yeah, that's good value. I suppose, look, worst-case scenario, it's the same as Monroe. He'd be gone, except in his case, he'd definitely be gone no matter what next year. But I'm not sure if that's much of a needle mover for either side when it's a trade which could see both players playing in completely different teams 12 months from now the next one from at it's a piece of Jake out of the top five cities for the D League team where do you see them being located I'm biased towards lacrosse for those of you who haven't seen um, Gary Wolfel has reported that there are five final candidates for the Bucks D League team they are. Let me see if I can remember now. Sheboygan, Racine, La Crosse, Green Bay, and Oshkosh. I have obviously never stepped foot in any of these five places, <laughs> so I can make a judgment on this from a very sort of detached viewpoint. What I'll say, I wrote about this t- today. Sheboygan and Oshkosh seem to be the two places pushing hardest, and that's by a long margin. And um, both the people behind both of those bids, they've set up their own websites, making a case for why their city deserves it. And um, they both sort of have professional basketball legacies. In Sheboygan's case, they have an arena in place, although it would need dramatic renovation, but they have the Sheboygan Armory, which, for anything I've seen, seems like a pretty cool spot for an arena if it was done up as their very nice mock-ups um, on their website. I want to say it's the Book Start here. Yes. Bookstarthere.com for the Sheboygan bid. Uh, go and have a look at that. If it ended up looking like that, that would be a very cool thing. Um. Oshkosh, then, obviously, they're proposing a new arena, uh, building an arena from scratch, as far as I know. They've got good sports background. They're located, then, in, I'm right in saying Fox Valley, am I? Yes. So they're close to Appleton. I mean, that seems like a good location point for bringing in multiple major cities where the books might like to spread their influence remember that's a big part of this and um, it seems like that would give them a wider catchment area than some of the others involved and uh, then obviously it's also a college town you could potentially target some of that crowd to try and fill up games create an atmosphere get sort of a regular following for the team as well um, so i think that has its own benefits too Lacrosse is interesting cuz they have they have the Lacrosse Center which has already been approved for 45 million dollars worth of upgrades and expansions. The only issue with Lacrosse is once again you can confirm this for me but to my knowledge it's quite a bit out it, it's it's outside sort of the ideal tri-hour range they wanted from Milwaukee, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So Just to... Uh probably I be more... I want to say it's like four and a half hours,
1: really. I mean, considering they don't have a D League team at present, a team that's four and a half hours away shouldn't be the end of the world, but they did yeah. set out as one of their initial sort of hopes that they could have it within three hours of the main franchise. So maybe that's a stumbling block. Uh the the other two I mean, Racine have said nothing other than they're interested. We don't really know any of the details of their bid. So unless they've got something incredibly impressive that they're just not sharing, I feel like they're a real rank outsider. And Green Bay, that seems to me, once again, I don't know Green Bay in terms of Green Bay location, but I obviously know quite a lot about Green Bay, the sports town. And for all the pros of that, I'm not sure if the books will fancy trying to go in there and play, I mean, second fiddle by the longest margin possible to the Packers when it's like late December who are you going to get to go to your D league teams games? You have say you have a game on a Sunday in green Bay in late December. Who is going to that game? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just, it seems counterproductive. Obviously that, ex, that expands across the state in those situations. And um, the Packers are for the most part, most people view them as, as, Wisconsin's team. Um, I know that can be a little bit divisive with some areas, but, Technically, that's what they are. I just think putting the team in Green Bay is maybe a different challenge for them. For me, at this point, I think... My detached view, I'd probably just go Oshkosh over Sheboygan, but if it was either of those, I could sort of readily understand the logic straight out.
0: Yeah, I I would probably agree with that. Although, I... Cross does intrigue me. Plus, they've had, I believe they had CBA teams.
1: Yeah, they've had, they've had two CBA teams.
0: Yeah, and what pretty successful too, right?
1: I want to say, one was called like the Thundercats. Oh um, I should remember I the other. I was only looking at these earlier, under to the, earlier today, but... um. <laughs> yeah, they, they have had two CBA teams. Also, the Bucks hosted an exhibition game in the lacrosse center. I want to say it was four years ago. Um, I only noticed once again from research today, the books have played in lacrosse before, like I guess they played in Madison last, last summer. So they have made the trip out that far before. I guess the interesting with that is as well, if we're thinking of the idea of them spreading their fan base, that maybe spreads it wider than anywhere else. You might intensify support in some of the other areas, but I mean, you're pretty far over towards the extremities of the state if you go to cross, right?
0: Yeah, you'd you'd definitely be crossing the like timberwolves territory.
1: I mean, which that's always a fun idea for the team if they could win over some of that potential market or if that's if that's an area where there's a bit, sort of a chance where there could be splits and loyalties if you could swing that back towards the books.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe that would appeal.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, out of the th- those three cities that we actually have some outside Country reports. Plan, yeah. Yeah, I think those are, you know, great things to have. I mean, the one that intrigues me most is the Saborgian one because, you know, you know, I've been to Saborgian many times and I've seen the Armory. And what they – the plan for it would be really cool to re- renovate that and, you know, keep that as a uh, viable, uh, you know, arena. Um, so, yeah, for, I think from that perspective, I may be a little biased. But, again, they just need a D-League team, and I think – it would just generate more interest with them from around the state. And that's all you could ask for.
1: Yeah, I'm going to guess if it goes to Sheboygan, there probably wouldn't be many cooler sort of settings for arenas in the D League or maybe even the NBA than that one. Yeah. Um, And uh, that said, uh, I think it's it's bookstarthere.com for the Sheboygan bid. And let me see. Led by uh,
0: Joe former Wolf. bucks former Bucks assistant coach Joe Wolf.
1: One of one of the very, very few Wisconsinites to play for the Bucks as well. I'm gonna say he's from Kohler. Is it?
0: Yes, which is not too. I mean, it's not far from Shibuya at all.
1: And if any of you are looking to not only check out BookStartHere.com, which is the Sheboygan website, bringthebooks.com, is the website for the Oshkosh bid. Um, they're sort of going under this Fox Valley pro basketball, so there's definitely the whole thing of tying that into not just being Oshkosh, but the whole Fox Valley area. Uh, they already also they have a YouTube channel, and there's a video up there, so it's it's fun at least seeing cities sort of competing for this and some interest in it six to eight weeks as uh, Gary Wolf reported. If we're six to eight weeks away from finding out where the books have a deity thing, that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the sooner it gets done, I think the better for all involved. Definitely. The next question, once again, from at Shaq B best case and worst case for Ton player comparison-wise. Ooh.
0: Best case.
1: I think the best case is an obvious one, and I mean it's the best best case. But it's the one that he's thrown out there himself.
0: Oh. KG.
1: Yeah. I think I think Kevin Carnett is the best case. Maybe the sort of a slightly more modernized for the current game kevin garnett even slightly bigger uh slightly more range on his shot that that is uh, when i might say best i mean the best 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 case that's like basically that's the case which is never going to happen but <laughs> if somehow that did happen i thought it was probably his best case um
0: I would say, I think I said this the other night, but I, I see, I think he could do, I think best case in a role-playing sense is Serge Ibaka. Yeah. I think, I really think he could do that and probably improve uh, better on it. Um, I, I don't know, I just see a lot of possibilities with in that regard i think worst case i mean no player comes to mind but right now but i'm sure you can probably
1: see. he's he's pretty unique so it's tricky to find to sort of pin down a worst case it's it's more the type i mean you'll be looking at big sort of high-risk gambles that didn't come off mm-hmm. i i it's unfortunate but because the books took him at ten, he was a relatively high pick. He would probably find himself in the company of guys who went higher and didn't pan out in the past. If he was a real bust, I mean, you'd hear names like Kwame Brown, um, who was the Clippers. Was it Michael Alovera Candy? Aloa Candy. Um, they're the sort of names in terms of big men who were taken quite high, even though I want to say both of those were first overall. Maybe not Olo oh, Yeah, Olo Kennedy
0: was first. Yeah, that's right.
1: Okay, so he wasn't, he wasn't a first overall <laughs> pick, but in terms of sort of teams falling in love with a big of a certain style, maybe he just fits in that. It's a tough one, though, because his game is a little bit different to pin an exact player for the worst case. Even someone like Ibaka or Garnett, best case, that doesn't really counter in the potential for him to be able to handle the ball or create. It's like I, I, it's really tough. He'd have traits of those guys, but there would be other players who would factor into it too. Um, from Alex underscore Koenig023, could Brogdon be like Mute and start opening night as a second rounder? Mm-hmm. Uh, was, no i think it takes a strange series of events from to start up. injury yeah injury. i mean if this was last season he'd probably be a lock to start in some position <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i mean think about it. you know yas was suspended and jabari wasn't back yet He probably would have started didn't rashad vaughn start am i crazy
1: No, there was more than that because mayo was out injured um, oh my gosh! There was there was more. Chris Copeland started opening night. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I'm been Bayless instead
1: of long I think it was Bayless. It was a it was a bad team. <laughs> really, it was like by book standards, it was bad.
0: Yeah, it was Bayless. Yeah, Lord. That was a bad
1: night. What was, what was the exact sign of life?
0: It was MCW, Bayless, Middleton, Copeland, Monroe. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, 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 like, you know, 20 years from now and they're like, what? I mean, you had all these great players and, you know, yeah, I, this great season. <laughs> what happened that season? It was, we just break out that box pair. And just like, oh, oh, yeah. That's what happened that season.
1: Next one from Alex on the zero to Tree. Am I the only one who kind of hopes Maker is 23? Even if his ceiling isn't as high as previously taught, he would be closer to his peak physical maturity. Even if it's lesser isn't that what we want as far as Yanis and Jabari, i.e. what's more important to the future? He reaches his full peak four years from now or is a steady contributor in two years? I mean, I, I think you're on your own on that one because if he is 23 if he's 23 and he's only at the point he's at now, then your hopes of him developing to be able to contribute in two years are very slim. So, yeah, I feel like definitely not plus he's not 23 he's 19 remember yeah. that made me devote like 20 minutes to that again <laughs> <laughs> last one from at alex underscore Kane 23 i made a bet with my buddy the books would be 500 or better did i waste a dollar or should i expect to win his well, i guess we'll tell you next week um if they come out of the, the blocks firing in free agency and get a couple of nice role-players, veterans, I mean, maybe they could approach 500, get to a couple of games over, but still too soon to make any sort of bold prediction on that one.
0: Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know.
1: To the shock of no one who listens regularly, Jordan didn't chime in with a bold prediction there. Yep. Jordan, I wilted. was going to say, I was going to say a fence. terrible
0: joke.
1: I don't know if we've had many of them tonight. If you've got a terrible joke, might be the time to break it out, Jordan.
0: Nah, it doesn't make sense at all. It's... <laughs> it
1: would be so dumb. On that note, anyway. it doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> what, what a fitting way to wrap up this week's podcast. Um, let's hope that's not how we start next week's podcast but <laughs> we we'll see how the week goes i mentioned on the draft podcast maybe we'd have a bonus free agency we've done so much tonight i'm not sure we'll go that route unless there's notable books rumors maybe we do something short later in the week but for now we'll say that's it for this week Make sure to read all of our coverage this week. We still have plenty of reactions from draft night, previews to free agency, all the news as it happens. Uh, Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher. Thank you very much for listening. Jordan and I will be back next week. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.